Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. That's right, baby. We are not walking in as if we are the President of the United States. But it is President's Day. All-star, like, cleanup Monday. And I think this is the first time that the two of you have had the pleasure, the fortune, of doing a show with me on President's Day, right? Yes, that is correct. So you are not aware of the Jake Quarry fun fact about President's Day, correct? Happy President's Day, President. That's right. (laughs) Thank you. Jimmy Cook, the president of the company. (laughs) Thank you. President's Day, every show that I've ever done on the radio for the last like 15 years, uh, I just intermittently sprinkle in presidential fun facts. Just throughout the course of the show. I'm excited now. For example, Matthew and Maine pointed this one out. Benjamin Harrison. You wouldn't say Indianapolis native because he's a native of Ohio, but Indianapolis resident and Indianapolis resident at the time of his election of president. Benjamin Harrison, first president in the White House to have electricity in the White House, but he himself would not turn on or off light switches because he was afraid he'd be electrocuted. Little facts like that throughout the course of the show. That's why I wear rubber gloves around my house. Just in honor of him. (laughs) Don't you hate when the power goes out and you go to turn it, like the number of times you go in a room, you're like, oh, it's right, I forgot. The power's out, right? Yep. Um, The power was not out of the all-star game, but there were some elements of it I thought were a little bit flat and not the areas in which many of you think. It was, and good afternoon to you on a Monday. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here as well. It's Quarry and Company on 93.5-1075, The Fan. All-Star Weekend now, a past memory for the city of Indianapolis. Coming in today and walking around downtown, you know, all the signage, everything's coming down. The crews are already here, quickly taking everything away. I hope they don't take away the, like, globed basketballs that were placed around the mm-hmm. city recognizing different elements of Indiana high school basketball and Indiana basketball history. I, I thought wonder, those were super cool. I wonder if they'll put those somewhere, because if you remember I wondered with that. the uh, when they were celebrating the bicentennial, remember they had a bunch of, because I love a good pun, the State Fair had the bicentennial, That's and there right. were a bunch of bisons that were created by different artists. Thank you. Uh, their idea, not mine. And those, I think, were spread out in different parts of the city where they had been made. Like, whichever artist had made them, they put them in different communities. I would think they'll do the same, right? I would think so. Like, the Attics one should be out in front of Christmas Attics mm-hmm. High School. The yeah. Ben Davis one should be given to Ben Davis. Yeah. That would be pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, listen, I thought the city did a very good job. I thought the Pacers did a very good job, obviously, with the you know the plaza and the other such things. The weather absolutely wreaked havoc on it. Let's just be real here. I don't know that anybody knew that it was going to be that cold. Like, I knew it was going to, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong, somebody can send me a screen grab to prove me wrong, I guess, but I'm fairly certain, like on Tuesday or Wednesday of last week, that if you look at your phone or whatever else, that the forecast was that it was going to be rough on Friday night, and then by Saturday, it was going to be chilly but not bitter cold, like 25 to 35. I mean, Jimmy, it was bitter cold Saturday night. It, it, it was like sing, close to single digits. And we came down just to kind of walk around and soak in the atmosphere. And the one thing I will say is that the the All-Star Game is a very, I, I think, kind of a members-only event. And I simply mean that by saying 
many of the establishments in which during Final Fours or Super Bowls or other weekends that are crawling with spectators, a lot of those were rented out for private events, which is very cool and good for the businesses and good for the money and the economy. Don't get me wrong. But I know the crossover was huge. I think they probably could have better facilitated getting people in and out of that. But there were a lot of people downtown. Do not get me wrong. But I just didn't feel like it had the kind of like the Super Bowl when it was here. I don't know that it outreached beyond the the main quadrant like you would have hoped. But the, but it is not the Pacers' fault. It's not the NBA's fault. It's not really anybody's fault. Even though you know it's obviously a risky run in mid February when the temperatures are like that. I, I mean, I just thought you went out right. You were at it. Yeah. I the only thing that I really wanted to go to once they announced this. You know, obviously back in 2019, but in the process of getting everything squared away and set up was All-Star Saturday night. And I'm with you. I had plans of potentially going out, maybe hitting up Kilroy's or Brothers or a local bar spot, grabbing some drinks beforehand. And look, I'm a bit of a wuss as it is. So, like, I'm not going to stand out in the cold any longer than I have to. I canceled those plans, those early plans, and just met up with a couple of my friends and my wife, Haley, after dinner and just walk to Lucas because it was so cool. Like there were aspects of the city outside kind of like Super Bowl village or stuff like that, that I wanted to be a part of or experience. And I just didn't do it because of how cold it was. Now that said, I was a bit apprehensive around the idea of having all-star Saturday night in a football venue, because even though we're used to that as a city, we know how to run events like that. And we always do it well, whether it's the Sweet 16s and the Elite 8s or the Final Four National Championship game. Lucas Oil knows how to be converted into a basketball venue. But I was still worried because of what the atmosphere and the ambiance and the crowd noise is for the dunk contest, for three-point, for skills, for, in this case, Sabrina versus Steph. I was worried it wouldn't be as effective. And while there were times where it was quiet because of just how the spacious nature of Lucas, I thought it was as good of a... All-Star Saturday night as my expectations were personally for me as an NBA fan, as an All-Star game consumer. That said, for last night's game, I'm not a get-off-my-lawn guy where like, oh, where's the defense? What does this game become? I understand what it is. It is an exhibition where they shot like 176 threes last night. We're actually really efficient because, hey, NBA three-point shooters can knock them down when they want to, but it was what it's been the last decade except for the fact that they scored more points than they have in history with the 211 the east put up okay so let me tell you who the big winners were last last night let me tell you the big winners of all-star weekend it was not the city of indianapolis sure it was great that all-star weekend was here and outside of draymond green the city got good pub it was not the pubs Sure, it's great that they were rented out for private events, and some of them had lines outside if they were open on South Meridian. But for the most part, I think they'd tell you that the the weather hurt the foot traffic. It was the following. The Purdue Boilermakers. Purdue Boilermakers were big winners over the weekend. Big winners. Because they went in to Columbus, Ohio. They could not in any way, shape, or form hold on to the basketball. Late in the game, they had critical turnovers and made kind of a silly and one foul, and they lose at Ohio State, who just fired their head coach, 
and Purdue, who entered the weekend as the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament, now maybe surrenders that to Connecticut, probably still in line for a number one seed because the resume is so good. But Purdue was a big winner last night because just when you started to think we were going to talk about Purdue and their failure, Damian Lillard pulled up from half court. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> Butler was a big winner over the weekend. They were a big winner. Not because they've lost two straight. Not because they now have to focus on Creighton. Or, or excuse me, um, not because, excuse me, they're getting ready for uh, Villanova, excuse me, on Thursday. They lost to Creighton on Saturday. Not because they've given up 40-plus in the second half of the last two games. Right. Not because they've lost two straight. Butler is a big winner because just when we were going to talk about that, Damian Lillard pulled up again for a three. <laughs> Indiana State was a big winner over the weekend. Indiana State is, they are all wearing Damian Lillard Bucks jerseys. They're like, pass it to him again. Because Indiana State, after their disappointment in getting run out by Illinois State at home and putting themselves in murky waters for an at-large, then they turn around, as JMV had said they might do, and struggle at Southern Illinois, and they've now lost two straight, have the Sycamores. But they were a big winner because Nikola Jokic missed a dunk. Indiana. Indiana was a huge winner over the weekend. Huge winner. Because the Hoosiers not only got to wear the fear of God with the new cream and crimson taking the back seat to the all-black uniforms with the numbers above the name, and man, did they look tight. They look tight, as the kids say, right? Recruits were there. Everybody's excited. The fans are on their feet. The band's playing, the dance crew's out there, and Mike Woodson's like, what do I care? I'm going nowhere. I'm going nowhere. My team's going nowhere, but neither am I. I'm not going to get fired. We all know that. My buddy's the board of trustees director. I'm going nowhere. My team sucks. They got no effort. We got one guy that had 22 and like 16 or something, but that's cool. He's going pro. By the way, does that count as a fear of God joke? Because I took the under in 10 minutes before we got to a fear of God joke in the show. I need to know for my my slips. That's the only joke I'm making. Okay. All right. Okay. Mackenzie Mbako has 20. So he's finally starting to get going, but that's okay. Northwestern comes in and beats Indiana, but Indiana's the big winner because just when we're about to talk about Indiana and their total ineptitude, lack of effort, and the fact that their uniforms look silly, they would be very cool uniforms that they won, but they go out there and they get their ass kicked, so they look ridiculous in those uniforms. Indiana's a winner, though, because just when we're about to talk about it, the crowd starts booing Dame Lillard, and it gives us something else to talk about. By the way, if I may, four straight losses to Northwestern for the first time since the 30s. It's amazing. What a stat. Chris Collins should be the next coach. Uh, Ball State. Ball State big winner over the weekend because they're like, you know what? We lost three straight games. We've lost three straight. We're under 500 in the conference, but nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it because just when we're about to talk about Ball State, Giannis tells somebody on the floor not to pass to Tyrese Halliburton to pass to Dame Lillard and damn those bucks. Big winner for Ball State. How about IEPUI? Huge win for IEPUI over the weekend. Huge win. Because IEPUI, right in the shadows of the IEPUI campus, is Lucas Oil Stadium, where Benedict Matherin is winning. 
the most valuable player award of the Rising Stars game. And so as a result of that, nobody's talking about the fact that IEPY has lost eight straight, lost their most recent game by 48 points, and their second most recent loss was the only win of the year by Detroit Mercy where one guy in the crowd rushed the floor. Nobody's talking about that. Big win for IEPY because Benedict Matherin stole the thunder and we didn't talk about that. Right? A lot of wins across the city. I like wins it. all the across way across the, state, the board. Actually, we're not talking about. We're not going to talk about the fact that Indiana came out and got down sixteen to Northwestern, and then the crowd got super excited because like Gabe Cups hit a three. Sweet. How many fans do you think had a double boo day? And by that I mean Hoosiers faithful booed IU at halftime against Northwestern. How many then do you think have the rare double boo day of we're at Gambridge Fieldhouse and booed Damian Lillard when he won the MVP? Think that's a small sample size? You think that we have some crossover Gotta potential a, there? Spe- well, some of them were still waiting in line for crossover yesterday, right, yeah, for three yeah, hours. Yep. So let's begin with Purdue. Purdue has the pleasure, the fortune the goodwill, and I'm not going to say the luck because they earned it. They have the credit on their behalf of building an unbelievable pre-Big Ten resume. So Purdue has bought themselves a lot of margin for error. I think they're still the number one seed in the tournament, a number one seed. I don't know that they're the number one overall seed. And for those of you that are curious, well, what's the difference? When the NCAA selection committee writes down on a sheet of paper its number one seeds, it ranks the number one seeds in order. Here is our top number one seed. Here is our second number one seed. Here's the team that of the number ones that we find to be the third best. And here's the one that we determine to be the fourth best. Well, Jake, what difference does that make? I'll tell you what difference it makes. There are the number 16 seeds. The what is deemed to be the weakest number 16 seed goes up against the top number one seed. So if you have a team, if if Detroit Mercy at one and twenty-eight with their only win being over IEPY somehow finds it within themselves to run the table in the Horizon League tournament and gets an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament at four and 26 or four and 27 or whatever they'd be, then they would be the team that goes up against the number one overall seed because they would be the worst team in the tournament, et cetera, et cetera. That's the one advantage to the number one overall seed. And then the way that it slots too, in terms of the nine, eight winner that you would get, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Exactly. I combined words there. Correct. And with Purdue, the NCAA gave their bracket preview. This is the actual selection committee. I was right on this last week when it happened. On Saturday, they revealed who the top four seeds in East regions, each region would be if the tournament started today. And going into that matchup against Ohio State, Purdue, as Jake outlined, was the overall number one seed in the tournament. That would have had them featured in a region that include Tennessee, Sixth best team based on their rankings. Baylor, 10th best team. San Diego State, 14th. If you swap UConn and Purdue and nothing else, you're looking at Purdue with a two-seed North Carolina, a three-seed Iowa State, and a four-seed Wisconsin. I think they do this every week from now until March Madness. I can't remember if it's that or if it's just 
They do you one midseason or one home stretch preview, and then we get nothing for Selection Sunday. But either way, Purdue fans now have an idea what they would be looking at from a landscape standpoint, even though I'm kind of with you, Jake. That loss probably is enough margin for error where they're not worried about the Big Ten, but UConn could leapfrog them if everybody wins out from here on out. Here is what here is Purdue's biggest obstacle and the biggest thing that Matt Painter has to coach against. And it's the hardest thing to be able to predict because you never know psychologically how guys are going to respond. You can you can feel good about it forever. And you can feel like you've done everything to prepare. But what you can never truly prep for is to know psychologically how teams are going to respond to things. And what I mean is this. On paper, it doesn't seem as though Purdue losing a game at Ohio State in mid-February is a huge deal because they're ranked in the top five, because they've been already deemed as the number one overall seed going into that game, which means they have margin for error, because they have Arizona with a win on their resume, because they have you know multiple impressive wins on their resume from the pre you know, Marquette being another one, obviously, from the pre-conference schedule. That's all well and good. But what's easy to forget is this. Ohio State had a lot of things going for it in, in making that the proverbial trap game. These are still college players. I realize that they're professionals now for the most part, but they're still college kids, young adults. And you can preach till the cows come home. Be weary of this, be wary of this, and be wary of that. But when they're still seeing everywhere that Ohio State made a coaching change, Chris Holtman's been fired, you're reading that as a player or as a fan, and you're like, I mean, Ohio State's a disaster. Their year's circling the drain, if not already starting to go down it. This is a gimme. This is a layup, right? That psychology going into it I can see how you come out and you're flat. But what Purdue has to be careful careful of now is this. Fairly Dickinson was last year. It just was. It was a year ago. They're a better team than they were a year ago. They're more complete. They're more athletic. They have more consistent scoring. Outside of Zach Eady, they have Lance Jones, who's been great. At times, very good at minimum. Braden Smith is a year older and a really smart player. But Fletcher Lawyer is kind of starting his late season Houdini act. He's not shooting the ball well. He's not able to get his own shot. But they have now the pieces to offset that. But what they but they also have something else that they didn't have a year ago. A year ago they didn't have Lance Jones. They didn't have the more mature Braden Smith. They didn't have the the almost more versatile Zach Eady, as odd as that sounds, because he was a player of the year. They didn't have Caleb first coming off the bench, like giving the contribution or Trey Cup and Ren or whatever, the unselfishness that they had it, but not to the level that they do this year. But the other thing they didn't have last year that they do have now is a loss to a 16 seed 
in their memory. And it seems as though losing to Ohio State with a couple weeks to go in the season with all the goodwill that they have built up is meaningless except for this. You never know the psychology of a player and of a team. And how much does the pressure, the whispers, the posts on X, the Facebook posts, the Instagram posts, the national narrative, the the articles, the talking heads on radio – constantly mentioning Fairleigh Dickinson, Fairleigh Dickinson, Fairleigh Dickinson. And when they're not, North Texas, North Texas, North Texas. And when they're not, Little Rock, Little Rock, Little Rock. How much does that come into play where if you lose at Ohio State in December, okay, but when you're getting now down to the time where they know they are getting ready to enter into an arena where they are going to be the most scrutinized by possession team in the NCAA tournament because everybody's waiting for it to happen again. Literally, everybody is waiting, and I don't mean that as a knock on Purdue. It's just the reality of the way things work. Purdue fans are waiting for the other shoe to drop, and fans of other teams that don't like Purdue are absolutely waiting for it to happen. I don't think it will, personally. I think they're the most complete team in college basketball, although Connecticut is really impressive right now and clicking on all cylinders. But the mental aspect, the psychology, the PTSD of the pressures of what happened to them in Fairleigh Dickinson has been something they have put on the back burner for the majority of the season. But when you have losses this late in the year, what is the – last night – as soon as that game was over yesterday afternoon, what's the first school you heard referenced when talking about that game that was not named Purdue or Ohio State? FDU. Here it goes again. Purdue doing their best march impersonation. And I would worry, I don't know how Matt Painter does it, but you've got to make sure that psychologically your team, to use a Ted Lasso term, that they're goldfish. Right? Yeah. I'm not as worried for Purdue, and I know you're you're speaking big picture. This, you're not solely focused on the 16 seed matchup, whichever they get, because they're going to be a one seed, barring the bottom falling off the next couple of weeks. I'm more worried about Purdue and the rest of those matchups after the first round, whether it's your one eight one nine game, whether it's depending on how the bracket progresses against a, a four seed or a three seed, because I'm not saying this is a formula to beat Purdue. That's been my question after every loss that they've had this year, and there haven't been a ton of them. Is there a formula to beat them? Yesterday, your takeaway would be they didn't miss a free throw. They were perfect from the line, but they turned the basketball over, and they struggled from beyond the arc. Zach Eady had 22-13, and 13, a average day by his standards, but still a pretty good day. Right. But the things that stood out to me, which could bite you in March... Maybe not in the first round, but they could for your goal, which let's be real. They, maybe they won't publicly say it. Purdue knows how good they are. Purdue knows this is a team that, and I know we've said this the last couple of years, and it's a testament to Matt Painter. Purdue knows this is a team that can't squander an opportunity to make a Final Four because it's there in front of them. But the only thought, if there is a takeaway of how to beat them, turn them over, pray they have a bad shooting night, and if they're going to let you in the NCAA tournament defend Zach Eady the way they did late, which, again, I'm the last person that's going to jump up and down and say, oh, they're beating up the big fella. What are we doing? If they're going to let people defend Zach Eady that way late in games, 
then it's no longer a surefire thing that they're going to make a Final Four unless other guys step up. If they have a bad shooting night like they did, it might not bite them in the first round, but if they're up against a, I don't know, a Wisconsin or a, a just thinking of like teams that are non-Big Ten programs, but you get my point. If they're up against a team of similar style before the Final Four and they have to play perfect, they can't have a night like that from beyond the arc. Otherwise, it's going to get them beat. Do you know that Richard Nixon, when he met his wife, proposed to her the first day that they met? And then, how about this? Nixon proposed to his wife the day they met, and then he was like so in love with her that he agreed to chauffeur her on dates with other guys until he could take her out. For myself, that's an amazing fact. For myself and the listening audience, I'm using the context clues here. Is that the presidential fact noise that we're going to hear throughout the day? Is that what that was? Uh, or? Is that what that was, Eddie? That's the new Jake Query fun fact sounder. Oh, okay. That sounded like, play that again. Very 70s, 80s feel to it. What? What? what it, this sounds like it's from uh, like Mr. Wizard's World. CBS Radio 1969. That was their news sounder. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> One more time. It actually sounds like it's from an actual re- uh, like a cassette tape you found downstairs from 1969. Um, we'll get into Indiana, including, by the way, presidential fun facts throughout the course of the day. The the new uniforms, I didn't hate them. Easy to mock. And they put themselves in position to be mocked over it, but I didn't hate them. We'll explain that. And we won't get into fashion tips, but maybe dancing tips from Don Fisher. I'll explain that, too, when he joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Obviously a disappointment yesterday for Indiana against Northwestern at Assembly Hall. I would imagine, understandably so, that Don Fisher probably thought, well, Jake's going to ask me about that game and I'm going to talk about it, which we will get to. But on this President's Day, as we bring on the longtime voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, I will ask Don Fisher, Don, if there was a president historically, and by historically I mean not necessarily one like, say, of our lifetimes, but just like over the course of history that you think would have been a fun one to just hang out with for a day, you would pick who? <laughs> Jake, you're killing me. Um let me think about it a second. I, I didn't expect the question. Obviously, I don't have a, a prompt answer for you. But welcome to I my see, life, Don. Uh, yeah, exactly. This is Don. I would think of you as a Teddy Roosevelt guy, like riding around on a horse, maybe go out and lasso up some bison. That seems like something you'd do, right? Who was the big fat president? That was a really good. <laughs> see, who was, a, who was the big fat president that was a good golfer? Well, William Howard Taft got stuck in a bathtub. He was a big. That, you know what's interesting, Don is, and I don't know if this is the one that was a good golfer, but but there was an era that I call, and I I think I'm the only one that calls it this. There was a presidential era that I simply called the bearded fat guy era, because you had like Taft, Rutherford B. Hayes, Grover. Uh, um, Grover Cleveland, like all those guys were bit like, what did they do back then besides not shave and eat junk food, right? <laughs> it's amazing. At golf, apparently, right? Well, uh, here's the thing. I mean, and I just thought of somebody that I would have probably liked to hung out with from, from a golfing perspective, and that would have been Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah, well, and that's, 
a fascinating guy all the way around, right? Just yeah, in general. Absolutely. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So Don Fisher joining us. Don, uh, <laughs> I'm driving around yesterday during the game, and I wanted you to elaborate on this before anything else. And that is, you came out of a break during the broadcast yesterday, and the dance team, I think, was on on the floor, and you actually pseudo kind of threatened that you might get up and dance for everybody, right? <laughs> well, I had to do something other than pay attention to basketball. <laughs> I was going to say that it, it. Sadly, Don, kidding aside, it it, it kind of reflects right just the the levity that was necessary in that game because at that point Indiana had gotten down sixteen to Northwestern. Um, I just fear, Don, and I realize that it's impossible for us to know because we're not like in the locker room or at the practices, but to put it simply and maybe dangerously, has Indiana lost the season here? I mean, is is this a team that maybe never even fully to begin with had the necessary chemistry, but at this point, are there too many eyes on too many directions? Well, I would say this. Uh, I think this Believe it or not, I would say that this is a pivotal week. I, I And the reason I say that is because Indiana plays a home game against Nebraska on Wednesday night, a Nebraska team that has played well this year, beat Indiana by 16 back on January the 3rd, but it's a Nebraska team that has yet to win a Big Ten game on the road this year. Therefore, I, I give Indiana a solid chance of knocking them off on Wednesday night. Then they travel to Penn State. And they, they play a team that has struggled this season much of the year. They got beat by them at Indiana, Penn State. Uh, you know, I don't know how they won that ball game in the sense of uh, Penn State itself because I thought Indiana would definitely handle them at home. They did not do that. So from my perspective, this is another ball game that if Indiana could beat uh, Nebraska on Wednesday, then they've got a shot and knocking off Penn State at Penn State on Saturday. And Penn State got beat by, you know, Nebraska, I think, in their last outing. Um, and Nebraska beat them 68-49. to 49. You know, you wonder if that ball club is ready to give it up. So I, I, all I can tell you at this, I think this is two winnable ball games this weekend. If they can get on a little bit of a roll here and this week alone, uh, maybe that transfers into a season that's not lost. But if they don't win these two ball games. And even if they go one and one, I think there's still a, a chance that this team has given up the ship, so to speak. And I don't think that these guys are quitting, but at the same time, they're not playing like they're playing for a Big Ten title or anything else at this point. They're still trying to find themselves. And that's the biggest question mark on this basketball team right now is why at this point in the season are you still trying to find yourself? Voice the Hoosiers, Don Fisher is our guest. Don, you spoke with associate head coach Kenya Hunter during the weekly radio show discussing preparation for Northwestern. Two-part question for you. One, is it common for it to be an associate head coach doing that hit with you instead of Coach Woodson? And then two, Hunter had mentioned to you that the inconsistency this year has boiled down to youth and the injuries they've dealt with, most notably Xavier Johnson's absence. Do you see it that same way? Well, I think it's a reality that the injuries have hurt this team. There's no question in my mind, Xavier Johnson, if he's playing up to his capabilities, is playing, you know, would really help this ball club. And he has struggled this year with injuries once again, uh, like he did last year, even though it hasn't kept him out the full season. Uh, missing a month back in December really hurt him. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, he comes back, he plays sporadically at that point, and then he gets hurt again. 
Um, so that there's no doubt they were counting on him to be a major factor. That's a reality. Uh, it, it, and yeah, it sounds like an excuse, but it's also a factor. Um, at the same time, this ball club hasn't gelled. Um, they just, for whatever reason, they'll have a good ball game or at least a game in which they play well and find a way to win it. And then they'll come out and have uh, a, you know, one that just they go in the tank on. The, the, the Purdue game, obviously, at West Lafayette was one of those. And they didn't play Purdue well the first time they faced them. And there's a reason for that because Purdue's pretty good. Although <laughs> then Purdue gets beat yesterday by Ohio State. And who would have guessed that? I mean, if you had $1,000 that you had just somebody gave you 1000 bucks and you could bet it, you'd have bet 1000 bucks they'd have beat Ohio State yesterday. <laughs> but it didn't happen. So... You know what? Uh, this is this is a season that has been up and down for the Indiana Ball Club. They still have a chance to turn it around here at the end, but there are only six games left to do it, and these two this week, in my mind, are just pivotal. Don Fisher, our guest, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Don, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, um, and, and I, I'm legitimately, genuinely asking. So I'm not asking rhetorically. I, I genuinely don't know. Sometimes, in particular, when you have a team like this one that, as you talked about, you know, there's no doubt that Indiana has talent. I mean, Khalil Ware is a talented player. Malik Renew, I think, is a really talented player. Mbako, I mean, it goes on. But in terms of the gelling together, I have always felt like the pre-Big Ten schedule is the perfect time to kind of tinker with lineups and get a feel for who plays well with other combinations and what works that you can go to over the course of the year. Maybe we've gotten away from that a little bit because there's so much priority now on building conference resume before the tournament and, and or excuse me, tournament resume before conference play, et cetera. But did Indiana do that, do you feel like, in, in November and December? Were they getting good enough looks at different combinations early on? I thought they did. I mean, I I can't fault Mike Woodson for the combinations he put out there. I mean, he did a lot of experimenting during the the months of November and December. And he had to do some of it just because of Xavier Johnson being out. Um, So he he had to put different lineups out on the floor. The, The difference has been that the lineups that he's put out there, and I'm not talking about the starters necessarily, but the bench has been so inconsistent of late. I mean, the last month, month and a half, they have just been very inconsistent. Guys coming off the bench, one day they'll give you something, the next day they don't. And that's always going to be an issue, especially as you get down toward the end of the season when your ball club needs some help from the bench, uh, especially when guys struggle a little bit, like Malik Renew is in the last few ball games. He's been getting into a lot of foul trouble here of late. And without doubt, he's Indiana's probably his, and he and Khalil Ware, obviously the two best players on the floor for IU. But when you get one of your best that's struggling at that point, it, it factors in. And then you bring somebody off the bench, and they can't—they they don't change things for you or don't help you get better. Uh, it's a real problem. So I, I don't think really, in my mind, I thought Mike used a lot of different combinations during the pre-conference portion of the schedule. Some of them worked. Some of them didn't. Some of them carried over to Big Ten play. And here of late, uh, it doesn't seem to be anybody consistently at performing out on the floor. Now, Don, I'd like to know if you would enjoy this or if it would drive you crazy. Apparently, Lyndon Johnson, when he golfed, would Lyndon Johnson on the golf course didn't keep score and would just simply keep hitting shots until he got one that he really liked, and then you would advance. It said that he, 
People thought he might have swung up to 400 times per round. Now, would you like playing golf with a guy like that, or would it drive you bonkers? Bonkers. <laughs> Absolutely bonkers. You're a play-through guy, huh? Uh, you know, I, I, well, first of all... Being behind I, him would really suck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and that at that point, even if he was the president and he was playing golf, I figured he could take it. I'm going to go up and ask to play through. <laughs> Excuse. Usually, when the question begins with "Excuse me, Mr. President," you already know your answer, right? Yeah. Or I'll just act like I don't know him and say, "Man, you suck." Can I go through? <laughs> That's right. Don't run again, by the way, please. <laughs> Don Fisher's our guest, the uh, longtime voice of the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, Don, what player on this roster this year? I guess if uh, I'm going to leave with two positive things here because I don't want to be all negative, Nancy, especially on a holiday, right? I mean, we're coming off a big weekend for the city. Um, give me a player this year that more often than not you feel has really pleasantly surprised and a guy that you've been happy for over the course of the season because when his number's been called, more often than not, he has played at a high level. Well, I think the guy that probably has played the best this year for this ball club consistently because he plays so hard is Trey Galloway. I know he doesn't shoot the basketball sometimes like we thought he would this year, especially from the three-point line. But I think this guy has played out of position the entire season. I think he's a three, uh, more so than a one or a two. Uh, he's one of those guys that, that has taken on the role of the point guard a great deal of the time, of handling the basketball, getting it where he needs to go. He has 12 assists in the ball game yesterday, uh, which, which you know, it's a career high for him. But he's been doing a good job of getting the ball where it needs to go when it's been his job to do so. I just think, and from a consistency standpoint, there's nobody that plays harder on this basketball team than Trey Galloway. And I thought that would be the case throughout the year before the season began. I also thought he would shoot the ball better consistently from three point from the three point line since last year he was right at forty seven percent for the season and I didn't shoot volumes and he still hasn't shot volumes this year other than a couple of ball games but at the same time last year he was consistently knocking down the three and this year has been very sporadic. Okay, so Don, here's here's your homework assignment. Okay, I'll give you a week to prepare. But next week, we're going to do something fun when, when, when you join us, aside from talking about this year. But to, to be positive, because I want to be a positive guy about IU basketball. To be positive, each week we're going to end the segment where I'm just going to ask you about one of your favorite Indiana players from yesteryear, not even necessarily in terms of their on-court production, but just a guy whose story you always felt like exemplified what you would want out of a student-athlete a guy that you just thought, you know what, I just always pulled for that guy and he's done well in life and he's just been a good citizen, a good ambassador for the sport. So, All right, I'll, I'll, I'll look, I won't look that up. I'll just think about it. <laughs> that, way, that, that comes with more preparation than quickly off the top of your head knowing that William Howard Taft was a guy that golfed a lot, which is impressive, yeah. actually, that you knew that. I was impressed by that. Yeah, um, well, I, I knew that he did golf quite a bit, and, and I don't know how good a player he was, but I don't think he was like Lyndon Johnson. And, <laughs> and, and, and that's the other thing. That, don't even get me started. I shouldn't even be talking right now because I'm going to put a big foot in my mouth. Well, the, the interesting thing for Lyndon Johnson would be that when it came to golf, he wanted as many swings as he can get, but when it came to the presidency, he walked away when he still had an opportunity to run again. That would be the interesting <laughs> thing, right? 
the dichotomy there of Linden. Apparently, you know what I mean? Maybe should have taken more swings. You know, I mean, we can go on and on and on. But Don, not to yeah. steal Jake's thunder, but uh, the late George H.W. Bush once said, it's amazing how many people beat you at golf now that you're no longer president. Let's just say you have an opportunity to play golf with an active sitting president at any point in time throughout history, and you have a putt to win it. You're, you're knocking that in, right? You're not you're not missing for, for the big guy in the Oval Office, right? Well, if I don't have the yips, I'm going to knock it in. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Don Fisher, the voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, inside Indiana basketball with Mike Woodson tonight at 7.05. You can hear that right here on this radio station. Don, a pleasure as always. Happy President's Day to you. Same to you guys. Thanks I, for having me. The See president ya. of broadcasting in Indiana, Don Fisher, and a Hall of Famer, uh, multiple Hall of Fames for that matter. Um, the guy that like, okay, who's your favorite president, Jimmy? Always liked FDR. That's a good one. You know, I have a, here, here's a weird fun fact. But I don't have the hardcore president brain that you do. I've experienced this once on a non-president's day day because your knowledge is immense in that category i don't know why presidents have always been my my thing i've i have a fascination with them i've read multiple books of like well i i at one point i had a project where i read the biography of every u.s president starting with washington and i got up through i mean i'm still i guess kind of involved in this project i'm up to like woodrow wilson um but i love presidential libraries so if I'm anywhere near the area of the birthplace or the resting place or the library of a U.S. president, I go. I mean, like like I've literally been on IndyCar trips where I've been sitting in the hotel and I will Google like, you know, okay, what's the closest one to me and how how close can it be? I've told you guys before I've been to Franklin Pierce's resting place, which is literally like in a chain-linked fence yard um, in New Hampshire. I've been to the birthplace of like Martin Van Buren and Millard Fillmore, which I, you know, I think I told you I went to the ver- the birthplace of Rutherford B. Hayes, which is now a BP gas station. And when I asked somebody about it, they said he was born in a gas station. Well, no, but okay. And they have a they they have a marker in the parking lot. Literally, it's like pump one, pump two, historical marker. Very odd. So I love that stuff. And and one of the things that are that is truly interesting to me is going into the presidential libraries. And, and when you say presidential libraries, for those that are unfamiliar, you think that means it's a collection of like all the writings and books of by the president. It's not. It's basically the museum, right, of, of their presidency with archives and different things. Two of the best that I've been to, the, the Texas home of Lyndon Johnson, they have phones that you can pick up. And when you pick up the phone, it has recordings of his phone conversations he had from the White House. He recorded everything. Uh, maybe they do that for all presidents, but it includes phone conversations he had, one that he has with Dr. Martin Luther King, one that he has with Eisenhower. I mean, you know, it's fascinating. Herbert Hoover, if you ever go to the Iowa IndyCar race, if you're driving on I-80 and you get to West Branch, Iowa, Herbert Hoover's home and library is there. And for a guy that was obviously the president during the biggest economic crash in this country, they're very objective. Andrew Johnson as well in Tennessee, his home and presidential library. They were not great presidents, but the libraries are pretty objective of telling just factually, 
Here's what happened. Here, Andrew Johnson's is particularly fascinating because Andrew Johnson took over the presidency upon Kennedy's assassination. He brought a lot of his cronies in. He he was impeached, but not overthrown, obviously. But he did not run again. But many of the things that he was so highly criticized for that at the time were because he actually went for country over party, and so he there were things in terms of the reconciliation after the Civil War that his constituents did not want him to do, but he thought it was in the best interest moving forward of the country. So he did it, and that's why he was so in the moment unpopular. And they don't t- they don't go into the specifics of that other than to just tell you what his thought process was and kind of leave it up to you whether he did the right or wrong thing. But that stuff to me is fascinating. So now you guys get victimized by having to listen to it all day on President's Day, right? Which, which I know you're thrilled about. Lucky us. Uh, on the program today, by the way, we'll get more back into college basketball on the other side and All-Star Weekend. James Boyd going to join us on the program. We'll talk about upcoming Colts free agency franchise tag window about to open. We'll get into that, and I'm sure we'll talk All-Star Weekend with him as well on the program. On this Monday edition, Quarian Company, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Now, Eddie, all bumper music today. Presidents of the United States of America or presidential-related songs? I understand. I was in a YouTube ad and I couldn't get to it in time. <laughs> so you went with the old reliable. Hey, ya off the uh, hotkeys or put it in the uh, stack. I love it. Both of you guys born and raised in Indianapolis, correct? Indeed. Yes. Okay. He- here's what I need, because we can settle a debate right here once and for all for President's Day, and we'll get into college basketball coming up uh, top of the hour. I-, I need somebody to call in. This is a-, a pretty esoteric criteria here, but I need somebody to call in that lived that was born in one state, spent their school years in another state, and now lives in Indiana as a professional adult. So there's amateur adults? What's that? There are. Sure. And and by professional adult, I mean moved here for work and thus, you know what I mean? Okay. So... 239-1070, if that's a weird criteria, but or better yet, like if you are listening right now and you work in Indianapolis and have been here for a number of years, but did not grow up in Indianapolis or in Indiana, I should say. If you did not grow up in Indiana, but you lived and spent high school and middle school and like your formidable years in a state different than that with with which you were born. So there's kind of three states that come into play. And there's a reason I'm, I'm asking it. Because we can settle a long presidential debate right now, like a very long debate right now in terms of figuring out one of the great Indiana connections that I think rubs some people the wrong way. When you, They don't do it anymore, but it used to be when you would drive into Indiana, there'd be a sign that said, welcome to Indiana, like Lincoln's boyhood home. Okay? Let's go to Paul real quick. Paul, you're on the show. How are you? 
Yes, sir. Uh, I'm calling not for that, but just to respond to what you just said uh, as far as presidential facts. First of all, Andrew Johnson took over when Lincoln was assassinated. Isn't that what I said? Not Kennedy. Sorry, I meant that's what I obviously what I meant. Obviously what I meant. Not impeached, and he was saved by one vote. He he was impeached. He was impeached. He was a little trip. Paul, he was impeached. That's all I got. But but Paul, Paul, are you listening? He he was impeached. I will disagree with you there. He was definitely impeached. Yes, I'm here. Okay, Paul, can you hear me? Hello? <laughs> Paul, are you there? This is great radio. Can you hear me, Paul? Uh, yes, I can. Okay. He was impeached. Andrew Johnson was impeached. You are correct. Obviously, I said I said Kennedy. I meant Lincoln, obviously. But he, he was definitively impeached. But the impeachment process, he was not convicted during the impeachment and overthrown. He was saved by one vote. But okay. He was- then that, that was the guy named Edmund G. Ross. My bad. I read that in... In school, eighth grade profiles encouraged book. So anyway, right. And what? But but Paul, what I'm saying is he was impeached. That that statement is a fact. Okay. Impeachment my, means that it means a vote was brought up. We saw the okay. same thing with President Trump. President Trump was impeached, but he was not the the impeach the impeachment did not overthrow he him. Wasn't, he wasn't convicted. Correct. So I should have said convicted. Correct. Anyway, I enjoy your show. I appreciate and, it, Paul. Uh, and appreciate I look forward it. to hearing some IndyCar news uh, in the future. All Take right. It easy. I appreciate it, Paul. Thank you. Let's go to Tom. Tom, what's up? Somebody who grew up in one state, went to school in another, and now live in Indiana. Okay, perfect. Tom, you grew. You were born where, Tom? Wisconsin. Okay, and you moved from Wisconsin at what age? Uh, 23, I went to grad school at Ohio State. Okay, so you lived in Ohio for how long? Uh, four years. Okay, and then you now have lived in Indiana for how long? Since 1987. Perfect. So, and and your your family and etc. Grew up in Indiana, obviously, right? Kids, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, my kids, but yeah, my kids did. Yes. Right. Okay. So, Tom, my question is this: a hundred and fifty years from now, when people are talking about the life of Tom, and they say Tom was a good guy, he was a native of blank. The state that you would pick for them to say is what? Wisconsin. Gotcha. Okay. Now, let me ask you this, Tom. If you had moved to Ohio, not just for graduate school, but for if you had moved, if you lived in Wisconsin until you were seven and then went to elementary school, middle school, and high school in Wisconsin and then moved to Ohio and then Indiana, would that change it at all? Excuse me. If you left Wisconsin at the age of seven and lived in Ohio for for all of your educated years and then moved to Indiana, would that change your answer at all? I would probably feel that way, but technically I think the answer would still be I'm a native of Wisconsin. Gotcha. I, I appreciate it. That, that's, And I tend to agree with you, Tom. Here's why I say it. Abraham Lincoln, born in Kentucky, moves to Indiana – at the age of, I think, seven, and lives here until he's 21, and then goes to Illinois, where he goes through graduate school, becomes an attorney, and and resides. So, for Abraham Lincoln, is it Kentucky, Indiana, or Illinois? A little bit different situation than Tom, because Tom was in Wisconsin for a long time. But if, if you were to ask Abraham Lincoln, what's your home state, what's he say? 
regardless of what he says, and I think he'd say Kentucky, but uh, all I hear is the visitblank.gov websites moving their hands together saying, hey, here's a way we could put Abraham Lincoln and grab more eyeballs potentially on the state Did itself. Did Paul drop the phone? Is that what happened, do you think? <laughs> there seemed to be a, a breakdown of communication there for a second. <laughs> and technology is a fickle thing sometimes. And, and by the way, when I said Andrew Johnson took over for, if I said Kennedy, I think most knew that was my Freudian slip there, right? Because you know the whole coincidences between Lincoln and Kennedy and yeah. yada, yada, yada. All right, so let's get back into it. It was a disastrous weekend for college basketball, but a good one from the pro standpoint. I want to get more into the All-Star weekend and just your overall thoughts, your impressions, because I have what I think is an unpopular opinion about the game itself that I'll get to next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. NBA All-Star Game, the weekend is complete. I think I'm going to have an unpopular opinion on that. We'll get to that coming up in just a little bit here. Uh, somebody did ask, okay, Jake, good question on the Abraham Lincoln thing. Where does Jeff Gordon say he's from? Uh, true story. I have broadcasted races where Jeff Gordon was here for the Brickyard, where the official NASCAR sheet listed his hometown is Pittsburgh, Indiana. And then I have been to NASCAR races on the West Coast where his hometown is listed in California. So I guess for Jeff Gordon, it depends where he's racing. Maybe for Abraham Lincoln, his home state was dependent upon where he needed the votes. Uh, joining us now, and I'm sure thrilled with that conversation, although we'll bring him into the um, the topic, Mike Chappell joins us from CBS4 and WXIN, Fox 59, and Chap. We'll get into free agency talk in just a second here, but I'll begin with this. You could sit down and you could have a Coors Light on ice with any president in history. And I don't mean for your politics. I just mean the one that you think seems like he would have been the most cool guy to sit down and have a beer with. You pick who? Kennedy. JFK. I I think all of his – I tell you, he could not have been president very easily in today's media. Can you imagine? But I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm a Kennedy guy, and yeah, I'm Democrat. All that. I think he would be so cool to sit. I would have my cores on ice because I do. No, I'm not sure how he does his, but I think he'd be cool to talk to. Uh, I mean, you get enough Coors Lights in him, you can probably start getting some dirt on all kinds of good stuff, right? Yeah, he might bring in a third party to sit and talk with us. And, <laughs> well, <laughs> the third party's Marilyn Monroe. That's the benefit, I, right? I was I was going to not say that, but yes, that's what I was thinking. Chap, do you re- and and I don't mean to date you here, so my apologies. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was at the doctor the other day, and the guy in front of me, you know, they they say like, "Okay, your date of birth," and the guy gives right. his date of birth. And and he said like yeah my date of birth it was like twelve one of seventy I think uh, or excuse me of of excuse me of fifty six and so I I did the quick math and I'm like okay well he would have been seven in November of sixty three so we sit down and I said to the guy I go hey this is kind of a weird thing to say and he goes okay and I go but I overheard your date of birth and I'm guessing that the Kennedy assassination is the first historical moment in your life that you vividly recall and he's like man. You could not be more accurate, and I mean, he—it was fascinating because he gave me—he was in first grade. He gave me the full rundown of the day. I mean, he was like, he, "We did this, we did that," and then you know, the, he remembered specifically everything about it. 
and you don't meet many people that were around then that that can't do the same thing. Um, I assume that's the case with you, right? Yeah, I would have been like 12. I was born in 51. And I, I, I remember that it was like three days or four days of, of – of, on our three channels on TV to where you had the Kennedy stuff. And I, and I maybe my memory fails me, but I, I thought it was on a Sunday morning we're watching when they're taking Oswald out of the jail and Ruby shoots him correct. On, on on live TV, I believe. Correct. So, That's yeah, correct. It, it, you really, it, things sort of stick with you. That one does because you just don't, you know, that just doesn't happen. I, I can remember... I stayed up late and watched uh, the Bobby Kennedy thing on the West Coast when he was going, and he was shot by who the hell was it? Saran, 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 Saran in Los Angeles, in, 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 in the kitchen of the wherever, the, whatever hotel it was. So yeah, and it's really, you know, in Martin Luther King, it's pretty damn bad that you've got mileposts in your life marred with darn assassinations. I mean, now we're getting numb to these senseless shootings. I don't care what the NRI says. They're senseless shootings and they play a hand in it and email the show and I don't care. But uh, yeah, it's just when you live, when you, when you span such a long time, unfortunately, yeah, I can, I can remember the landing on the moon and Neil Armstrong and all that. Boy, some of the, the nasty things are what sort of are seared in your head, maybe because of the dramatic slant to them, but that's that's the world we live in. You know, it was a Sunday with Oswald and Ruby because I had done an interview, Mike, on the 50th anniversary of – anniversary is the wrong word – but the 50th mark date of John Kennedy's assassination. I interviewed Dr. Robert McClellan, who was one of the doctors in the ER yeah. that attended yep. to him, and he was talking about – he told me about how after everything that had taken place, he finally had that Sunday off – and he had gone to church with his family, come home, turned on the television, and he said right when the picture formed, he saw that he saw that shooting, and then they called him and said, you need to come back in, and he went in to tend to Oswald as well. But it was on a Sunday, and, and you know, he said it just ha- it was like a nonstop blur, like a, like a 96-hour yep. blur for the country. But um, anyway, on President's Day, the reason that I asked that of Mike Chappell, but Mike, let's get to – Football in general, the can you give us a rundown in terms of the upcoming NFL schedule? And by that I mean the the windows of the franchise tag and your anticipation of how the Colts will handle this and whether or not they will use it. Yeah, I just posted something shortly uh, a bit ago on our site. It starts tomorrow at 4 o'clock. I don't know what the time is. It doesn't really matter. But it starts tomorrow through. 4 p.m. on March 5th, teams can use the franchise tag. and Players, a handful of players hate it because it is restrictive, although it comes with a huge price tag. I expect the Colts to, to, to tag Pittman. It's about 20.7 or 21 million one-year contract. It's guaranteed as soon as he signs it, as soon as the player signs it. One thing that it's interesting that people need to keep in mind is the franchise tag, as restrictive as it is, it doesn't keep you from the open market. You can still go out and sign an offer sheet. Uh, Pittman can go sign an offer sheet with the Kansas City Chiefs, let's say five years, you know, $25 million a year. 
and the Colts have the option to either match it or if they don't, they get two first-round picks from that team. So you you can go out of the market. It's just really, really, you know, prohibitive to do because, the, like last year, the uh, the Ravens used the exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson because how many teams would have given up easy, quickly two first-round draft picks for, for Lamar Jackson? A lot of them. Well, uh, how many teams would do that with Pittman or any receiver? As far as that goes, so. But the idea is to keep your best players. It used to be quarterbacks, and now it still is occasionally. But like last year, I think three running backs were tagged, uh, and two of them got one-year deals done. And and Tony Pollard played under the franchise tag. So it, it's a tool. It's a tool that the players agreed to. When they did the latest labor agreement, the players agreed to this because it only impacts what six, eight, ten players a year. So, so the union, you know, the the, the the core players, they don't care whether Michael Pittman or Lamar Jackson or whomever gets tagged. They want something else that impacts more of them. But yeah, this is a tool. I would hope they get a long term deal done. It'll kind of show us the the team's commitment. The, like I wrote today, they'll show him the depth of the commitment. Is it one year and then tag him again next year? Or do you give him four years, five years, or whatever number you want to put on it? I think the big thing would be what kind of guaranteed money he gets. But it's very clear that he is a core player. Ballard loves him. Every time he talks about Pittman, his eyes light up. It's just going to be what what would the, what 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 will Pittman accept Long term, and how does that match with what, with what the Colts are willing to pay? That, that's that's what, that's what all negotiations come down to. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox Fifty Nine and CBS Four is our guest. Chap, you highlighted the Lamar Jackson situation a year ago, and they basically told him, "Hey, you can go out and find an offer if you want, but we're going to get first round draft capital in any deal that you're able to go sign." So go ahead, have at it, and. The league did nothing, and you highlighted that there. No one's going to do that for a wide receiver for giving up two first-round picks, regardless of how talented that player may be. In the Colts' case, tagging Michael Pittman Jr. in today's NFL all but assures that he's going to remain a Colt. He could hold out, but the likelihood of somebody making one of those offer sheets in spite of the tag is incredibly rare. That said, kind of two things. One... Is that why, in your mind, it makes all the sense in the world for them to tag him? Because it still leaves open the door to sign a long-term extension without getting into a bidding war with other teams? And then secondly, if they do tag him within this two-week window that starts tomorrow, how likely is it that there's a quick turnaround on an extension with him? I, I think there's a there's a decent chance. Again, the, 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 the tag just gives you the leverage that he's your guy and he's not going to be on the open market. Come March 13th, which, which Pittman would love, he, he, and he, he kind of didn't disguise that when we talked to him at the end of the season. He said, "He said I owe it to myself to do my due diligence to see what's out there." And I'm telling you, if Michael Pittman gets on the open market, somebody is going to pay him. I don't know, twenty four, twenty five million dollars a year. They just are because that's what the market does. And and we can sit here and and be critical of Michael Pittman because he's only got. I don't know what it is, 15, 16 touchdowns. He's only 
averaging about 11 yards a catch and all. We, we can do all that. But I can argue why some of those numbers are like that. The, the quarterback carousel and you lose Richardson last year. We can do that. All it takes is one team. Christian Kirk, Kirk remember Christian Kirk was it last year? Where he got the big numbers from uh, uh, Jacksonville. It only takes one team. So that, that's why. And again, it comes down with the Colts is is there's no if you cut through it, there's no plan B. Let's say they say, well, we're just not going to pay him twenty three million dollars a year, and we don't want to tag him at twenty one a year. Well, which is you, you would, but if you don't, your your receiver room has Josh Downs was a rookie last year, and, and Alec Pierce, second-year player, who you're still waiting to see. So if you don't keep Pittman, then you're either going to grossly overpay on the free agent market, whoever's out there, because whenever we see the pending receiver free agents, teams are going to either re- re-sign these guys or tag them. So you're not going to get, you know, maybe you get a Mike Evans, maybe a T. Higgins, I, I don't know. But you're going to overpay. You're probably going to pay more for a for a veteran free agent than you will for Pittman, because that's what the market does. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think the last time, and I didn't mention the story, the last time they tagged a guy was McAfee in 2013, primarily because they just it just hasn't been necessary to do so. Uh, but again, it, it, it's that hammer. It, the NFL is all about leverage. Who's got the leverage? And when teams have the leverage, they use it. And and when players have the leverage, you know, Eli Manning in the draft, you know, things like that, when you have the leverage, that's when you have to use it because very few times does a player – look at Dak Prescott in, in Dallas. He's got all the leverage. He's going to cost $60 million or whatever it is, and he's got a no trade. And he ha- so, so he has to do – when you get leverage, you use the leverage because sell them – you have leverage you know mike i'll be honest with you You mentioned christian kirk and we've talked about this before at the time jacksonville seemingly overpaid him but they didn't overpay him based on what his value was to jacksonville exactly. I, I, I mean he turned out to be for what they needed man he was a he was a godsend for what they needed right and, and just yeah, it's all, yes it only takes one team but that team needs to be right now what you know there have been there's a lot more cases of of teams that are over, overpaid for these guys and right. not worked out, which is one of the reasons that the ba- Ballard and the Colts rarely go in big time because it's just it's just rare when that happens. Now, they tend to be more selective. So let, allow me to ask this, and, and I'm going to show my ignorance here, Mike, because it takes me a minute sometimes to grasp these things. So the Colts have to make a decision about Michael Pittman on whether or not they want to franchise tag him before he would go on to the open free market, right? Correct. By market, okay. if, they have to, if they're going to use it, now, they have to do it. Here's my dumb question and why I'm a talk show host and not an NFL general manager. The The decision whether or not to franchise tag him, theoretically, would be largely based upon their perception of likelihood of being able to re-sign him or if they were to lose him and they want to keep him, that's why they would franchise tag him. Are they allowed to begin negotiations with them ahead of the free agency period or have like whisper conversations so that they get a feeling or a barometer on what their likelihood is of being able to retain him without tagging him? Yeah, you can can have contract talks with guys under contract 
they could announce today that they that they've signed Pittman or Kenny Moore or Gardner Minshew. But or other teams, other teams cannot, right? Correct. Correct. Right. Okay. Other teams can't mess with your guys until I think it's March 11th. So they don't have any idea what somebody else may theoretically be exactly. looking to offer him. Exactly. Uh, one thing I noticed, you know, I, I mentioned in the story, the top 13 receivers last year averaged $20 million a year. In the top eight, averaged 23. So in my mind, Michael Pittman's floor is 23 million on a free agent or, or on a new contract. Uh, and then it goes up. So, yeah, the, the Colts have a very good idea. He, Pittman told us in January that they agreed not to talk during the season. And so, I, I, in my mind, there's no question that they've had discussions. They know that, hey, you know, that we're within, you know, parameters to where we can make this work. Or Pittman's wanting the stars and, and, and the moon and we're not going to get there. So, so then you tag it. The, the tag at least gives you, you know, where he's not going to go anywhere, barring somebody doing something stupid. Another team, I mean. So, you know, they know where they they know they know where they're at with Pittman. They know where they're at generally with these other guys because it, by, by March thirteenth, you need you probably need to have guys re-signed that you want to retain just so they don't get on the market because the market probably. In a lot of instances, is going to is going to increase that player's value. Some not, some some they will. So yeah, they they know. I think they as they sit here today, I think Ballard and his guys have a pretty good idea that you know we're not that far away and we can get something done. You know, it's kind of like the Jonathan Taylor thing last year. We're we're sitting in the press room in in June, and we're just kicking around. You know, this is going to end up with three years, forty forty two million. And we had to go through all of that because the media does that because we're smart. We think we're smart. And that's what the number essentially was when they got all this done. The, the, the Colts know. The Colts have a good idea. Or they know that, you know, we are so far away. This is going to be a tag. And then we'll deal with that later. They know, they know where they're at with Pittman. They know where they're at with these other players for the most part. The Dean Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS4 joins us. Chap, a tag applied to Michael Pittman Jr. effectively ends any bidding war that you could likely get into if he hits the open market. With that said, what would be your level of surprise if they didn't tag him? And if they weren't to tag him, why wouldn't they? Because when I look at it from the team's perspective, outside of maybe egos or maybe like reception since they haven't, or perception around the locker room since they haven't done it in a decade. I can't figure out a lot of negatives why they wouldn't tag him and risk him hitting the open market. So level of surprise, if they didn't, and if they did not tag him, why would you assume they would not? Oh, it would be an immense surprise. I, I don't know what to compare it to. It, 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 would, be, it would be like, you know, I'd be surprised like it's 90 degrees tomorrow. No, it's, it, you have to tag him because not tagging him, Again, it goes against everything that Chris Ballard has talked about regarding Pittman's value. And again, just listen to Chris Ballard, and, and Pittman is everything they want in a Colt. You know, sometimes they talk about, well, this guy's a Colt, he's a horseshoe guy. Well, Pittman's a horseshoe guy. He just is. Uh, yes, you want more from him. You'll want more from everybody unless it's Mahomes or Justin Jefferson, whatever. 
but to not tag him and say, well, hey, I tell you, Michael, go out there and see what you get in the open market and, and give us a chance to match it. Well, that's not going to happen. It's not. If he gets out there, some team is going to give him $24, $25 million a year because some because that's what – he'll end up being one of the top two or three receivers available because the other guys are going to be re-signed or tagged. So I just – they don't let good they, – they try not to let good players leave, if at all possible. And I say, again, that's where – the tag is not the best option because it's one year and then you're here again next year. But it, it's a it's a good option. It, it's it's it gives the team the chance to retain good players. Pittman's a very good player. I would be beyond shocked if they didn't tag him. Chap, tell me the one player in your covering the Colts from the time the Mayflowers arrived to present that was the free agent signing that had the greatest disparity between the way it was received when it was announced and the payoff that it had, either from a negative or positive standpoint one wow. way or the other. Wow, free agent, wow. You should have given me a heads up on that. Uh, God, nobody jumps off the... Uh, That's the thing. This no. is a franchise that has not historically had like major splashes is kind of my point, and, right? Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson. Boy, you're not kidding. That was And Frank... Uh, Frank Gore was a solid uh, uh, player for them, but I mean, people thought those two guys that it was literally like they just signed Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders. I mean, that's how people, you know what I mean? Laron Landry, uh, he 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 did not work out. Laron Landry, for a lot of reasons. Boy, that whole class. Remember when they, you know, Griggs <laughs> yeah. is back in the Brinks truck, and it was Landry, Goster, Sherless, Ricky Jean, Francois, Eric Walden. Some of them were okay. I thought Goster Sherless was okay, and then all of a sudden the bottom fell out, right? Yeah, Eric Walden was pretty good, too. He had an edge to him. They, they've had some really good uh, – Jabal Sherry uh, yeah, was really, really good. Danico Autry was really, really good. And okay. some of them would, just didn't work out. I'll give you one that I thought was pretty good. And at the time – and I think it was anticipated of being pretty good. But even beyond just what he did on the field, I think – Symbolically, I thought Chad Bratsky was a pretty good signing. Oh, he was a great signing. Yeah. He was. And at the time, they made him the highest paid uh, defensive end, I believe. I mean, and, he was good for four, four or five years. He was. But and in addition to that, Chap, and you tell me if you agree with this, he, I thought what Chad Bratsky did was that was the first player that kind of symbolized that, no, this is not your dad's Baltimore Indianapolis Colts. Like, let, let, we're going to start to try to put something together here. And it was the first piece that kind of gave them some real free agent market validity. That might have been back when in was that ninety eight when they brought him in uh, ninety nine. I can't remember. It was, yeah, it might have even been like ninety six or seven, right? I it, wait. I was thinking it was when it was when then it was, this is later. But when when Polian came in and, and the defense was just bereft of talent. You get the Cornelius Bennett's and, and all those guys, and he redid the defense by a free agency yeah so and, and again it's 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 different now only because the, the the cost of free agency has gone through the roof because because that's how teams the quick fixes but it, it'd be really cool maybe one of these days i'll do this is, is look at the top 10 and the and the worst 10 free agent signings and it would it, it would impact remember Corey simon uh he was a free agent he was a free agent from uh, philly the mystery illness and, man right right 
Booger McFarland for a year. He, it worked because that, he, he was the anchor of that uh, interior defense for the Super Bowl team. So a lot of it worked out. And unfortunately, you know, when you miss it, just, it just costs you with dead money and all that stuff. So, but again, it, it's interesting the way Chris Ballard has done it by really trying to stay away from the, 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 the massive signings. And you get to that mid-level where the prices come down. But if you're right, you still get some really, really good players. Again, Danico Autry, Jabal Sher, those guys, those were damn good players. And, you know, if you can hit on a couple of those guys a year, you know, uh, Samson Ekuban, great signing. Yeah, he's been a good player for them, for sure, right? Quietly, kind of quietly a good player for them. Right. The one thing that they've never really hit on were these receivers, which just drives me crazy. You know, I always say they're still their best free agent wide receiver signing was Donnie Avery back in 2012. They just haven't been super active with it, but they've never really gone after a guy that's cost them, which is probably good considering the people they've gone after, but it just hasn't worked out. And just to take it a step further, I really think that re-signing Pittman, you still need to go out on the market or in the draft and get you a really Correct. viable uh, wide receiver. I'd agree with to that. that room. Uh, by the way, Mike Chappell, I am going to right now on the program declare that in terms of on this President's Day, this is my like decree, uh, you, Mike Chappell, in terms of the local media, are the Chester A. Arthur of <laughs> media members. Do you know why I'm appointing you as Chester A. Arthur? Well, I'm not as old as he is, but go ahead. Correct. I believe Chester A. Arthur, by the way, is the most random and obscure and little-known president. You are not that, or least-known president. You are not that, obviously. But Chester A. Arthur's nickname was Elegant Arthur because of his keen fashion sense, which when I think keen fashion sense, Mike Chappell jumps right out. You are elegant chap. I'm not. I'm not fashion. I'm sitting here in, in shorts today, so I, of course I always wear shorts. So I know fashion's in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> there we go, Mike Chapel, elegant chap for his keen fashion sense, wearing shorts when it's 20 degrees outside. Joe Stasniak's thrilled. Chap, we appreciate the time as always. Thank you. Talk to you next week. All right, Mike Chapel joining us on the program. All right, so back to it on the All Star Game. I have an unpopular opinion that I'm expecting to get completely killed for. And for once, I'm positive. Elaboration next. I sh- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I should have worn my Franklin Pierce College sweatshirt today. Except for that that would be better for Christmas because he was the first president to have a Christmas tree in the White House, just so you know. You've broken out that sweatshirt before. I have. I like that you went with an all-star motif today. I did. I have this as the collectible all-star shirt. I really like it from the first go-round. That's nice. The 2021 all-star game. I have one like that. It's a Yankees-Blue Jays opening day shirt from 2020 that never took place because opening day got moved. So they put the shirt in like a little gift bag. And so now I'm like, oh, that's the coolest thing in there because it didn't cool. actually happen, yeah. but it's a, it's a unique thing. I have a ticket stub from a 94 Los Angeles Dodgers game that that the tickets had already been sent out, but it was the first ticket once they went on strike. 
Mm, nice. So it's the full ticket, unused. Um, good afternoon to you on a Monday. It's President's Day. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook, who you just heard from. Eddie Garrison here as well. All-Star Weekend is now officially a thing of the past. And here, here's my thought. There, people were very upset over the fact that Damian Lillard was the MVP over Tyrese Halliburton. And I get it. I think the last all-star MVP in the home city was, was it Anthony Davis maybe? When it was in New Orleans? I That, that sounds about right. I, within the last 10 years. But two things. Number one, that bothered me none. Sure, Halliburton had like, I mean, it was pretty exciting. That, that, that opening flash was pretty impressive. He's just hitting from everywhere, and it's like that. It just the stars were aligned, where it was like this is how this is meant to be. We have searched in this town long and hard for the next face. The face of the franchise probably always will be Reggie Miller, because he was the first from an NBA. I don't mean ABA. I, please don't jump on me about. Because I have great love and respect and admiration and appreciation for Roger Brown and Mel Daniels and Bob Nedelicki and Freddie Lewis and I don't know if I said Roger Brown. Did I say Roger Brown already? George McGinnis, obviously. Huge admiration and appreciation for those guys. But I'm talking about from an, from the NBA standpoint, Reggie Miller was the first in the face of the franchise and still is because he was here for so long. That goes without saying. But since his departure, we're an impatient group here in Indiana. We wanted, we always wanted to just keep things going as they were. It's it's why we we mention Hoosiers every year. It's why we bring back Mario and Johnny Rutherford and AJ Foyt for the five hundred every year. It's why we talk about Bob Knight all the time and Gene Cady. Like we are very set in our traditional ways. And Reggie Miller is that guy for the Pacers. And we've been we didn't want to drop that off. So we've been begging and praying and pleading for a guy that can sustain it. And it looked like it for a while, and people forget this. I mean, some people thought it was going to be Granger. Some people thought it was going to be Jermaine. Some people thought it was going to be for a very short period, Roy Hibbert. Paul George, Victor Oladipo. And all those guys had their moments, don't get me wrong. But from a long-term standpoint, the thing that Reggie Miller did, and this is why you should be optimistic about last night and not care about some BS MVP award. Damian Lillard got the MVP award because at the last play of the game, he shot from from midcourt and it went in, right? And he shot like 58 times. Great. This is why you shouldn't care about the most valuable player award and why the Pacers and Tyrese Halliburton won the night. Reggie Miller was beloved in this town, not just because he had 25 points in the fourth quarter in game five of the 94 Eastern Conference semifinals, not just because he had eight points in nine seconds, 8.9 seconds in game one of the Eastern Conference finals in 90 or semifinals in 95, right? Not just because he won an Olympic gold and everything else. Reggie Miller, all of those things are key to it all. 
But the biggest reason that Reggie Miller is embraced, beloved, and will always be the face of it in this town is because Reggie Miller became one of us. And when Reggie Miller first got drafted by the Pacers, up on the Jumbotron at Market Square Arena, they had like a little thing of two hands on a Hollywood strip, and it said like, Hollywood Miller. And that didn't relate. Nobody cared here. They're like, plus he's from Riverside. He ain't from L.A. He's from Riverside, right? But they tried to, you know, he came from UCLA and everything else. And then Reggie Miller himself, I think, knew, like, that's not me. And Reggie Miller adopted the Hoosier mentality, which was the chip on their shoulder, push the chest out. We are not Naptown. We are not Indiano Place. And we can hang with the big boys. And we have something to show for ourselves. And people loved it. Paul George tried to have it. But Paul George was also from like suburban L.A. But for Paul George, he was from L.A. He wore Michael Jackson beat it pants and, and went on Jimmy Kimmel with a, talking about his fashion designer. And Victor Oladipo was from the East Coast, Maryland, and went to IU and was one of us. But he was the mass singer. And he, 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 had, he was, a, star, you know, he was a, a bigger star. He was a Miami guy. He wanted to be in Miami. Reggie Miller did not, and that's what people loved. Tyrese Halliburton last night did not win the All-Star Game MVP award. He won the game, not, but he did not win the MVP award. But what he did, Jimmy, was he showed that he wanted to be, along with us, the guy that was putting Indianapolis on display. He had that chip on his shoulder. He he wasn't hearing it because he was playing in the game, but he would have quickly defended us against Draymond Green's comments about the city of Indianapolis. He would have he was doing everything he can to showcase the city. He made this event not about him, but about Indianapolis. And then when the ball was in his hands, he showed them I can play and I play for the Indiana Pacers. He never shied from it, and he adopted it. That's the true MVP of the All-Star game, and that's why Adam Silver handing out some trophy for the guy that actually had the most points and hit the most shots, who cares? Who cares? And in addition to that, this narrative about the All-Star game, that it's over, it's done, I was was disappointed because I went and there was no defense played, and they scored 200 points, and it's a joke. They made a mockery of it. What all-star games are these people watching? Yeah, you're allowed to have that take for one reason, one reason only. You've been in a coma the last 20 years, and that was the first all-star game that you've seen that time. Of any sport, though. Yes. The Pro Bowl's gone the same way. The Major League All-Star game is the only one. Do they try in the Major League All-Star game? I don't know. They, they must not, because if if they tried in the Major League All-Star game, okay, if you if the Major League All-Star game was really about trying to win the All-Star game, then I got news for you. Roger Clemens goes eight and a third. Right? Yeah. They're pulling their starters after two two innings. Clearly, it's an exhibition. The NBA, they play defense in the NBA. And if you think they don't, and I hate to say it, like, and I know not everybody can do it, and I'm fortunate to be able to do so, but when you, if you sit down low and you really watch the speed and the ball movement and the rapidity of the which the – it's unbelievable. There are plenty of opportunities to see great defense amongst professional players in the NBA. But what I want to see is this. Those are the best basketball players in the world. But they are also the most incredible athletes. Like 
in the NBA All-Star game, a guy comes down, takes two dribbles, and pulls up from 40 feet and drills it effortlessly. And people are like, where's the defense? What? Not where's the defense, more so of how about the fact that like you're seeing a guy hitting from 40 feet effortlessly? There's like a thousand people on the planet that can do that. But more so, how about like guy running down floor, underhand pass from 40 feet to a six foot eleven, two hundred and forty pound guy that's running a four four forty to jump fifty two inches on a vertical, grab it with one hand, and then reverse dunk it. Do you know how unbelievably rare that is? I think the most human aspect of All Star Weekend was Luka Doncic gets rim stuffed on a dunk, which was like the first. It was a crazy dunk he was trying to perform and he gets rim stuffed by it and that gets forgotten about because three bounces of the basketball later Damian Lillard pulled from the logo with ease and to your overall point Jake like it was a layup like I get it people especially the old guard don't like there's no defense in these games but the ability to see the greatest basketball players on earth totally do things that we could only dream about doing is half of the entertainment aspect of all-star Saturday if you are all-star the all-star game if you were to sit down and watch that whole game and expect it to be a level of it's an exhibition competition that you're going to get on a Friday in the NBA then you're going to leave disappointed it is here's the thing maybe they've marketed and build it incorrectly the NBA all-star game is an exhibition of the most elite athleticism on display in the world I, I mean you are seeing I, I think we go back and look. When Julius Irving jumped from the free throw line, it broke the internet before the internet. When Julius Irving did a dunk contest where he backed up, ran, took off from the free throw line, soared through the air and dunked it, collectively the basketball world lost their mind, right? If you did that in that All-Star game, you'd have been laughed out of the room for the simplicity of it. What you're seeing yeah. is the greatest display of unbelievable athleticism known to man. Absolutely incredible. Jason joins us on the show. Jason, you're in the hey. company. How are you? Doing good. How you doing, boss? I cannot complain, man. Wouldn't do us any good anyways, man. That's, that's uh, why I do it all the time, no, though, just, right? I'm just calling because I noticed, you know, Draymond did have those comments. You know, the only reason he's upset or has anything ill will to say about Indiana because that dude didn't get drafted in 2012 by the Pacers, and he literally wanted to be and thought he would be drafted by us. So that's the only reason he got problems. That, you know, that's a that's a fair point, and I think that was the Plumlee draft, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you know, Jason, here's the thing: I always get a kick out of this when people are like, "The Pacers passed on Draymond Green, and you know he fell to Golden State." Well, look how many teams did pass on him, right? Clearly, situational. He's a great player. He's a very versatile player, and he is he's perfect for what Golden State wants. I think a big part of what Draymond Green was saying, I think people took it out of context for those that aren't familiar. Um, what he essentially was saying, I you know, and he's like, Reggie, can we never have the All-Star game in Indianapolis again? I took that as, dude, it's freezing here. That's a guy from Michigan, right? Yeah. But, I mean, he said the quiet part out loud for a lot of national voices. There's a lot of, if you don't follow this regularly, and I know Jake and I and Eddie do to some extent as well, but... 
there's national figures around the NBA that think this should be an event that's either at a big destination spot like Las Vegas every year or be in a warm temperature city throughout the entire rotation and then maybe every 10 years throw it to a cold city. That said, I thought as a whole, I think we can all agree on it, while there were things I might have changed, I thought the city of Indianapolis once again reminded the world why it is a destination spot because of how well they run these events. Whether well, it's the Super Bowl, whether it's Final Four, whether it's All-Star Weekend, they flex their muscles again to show they're capable of doing but it But the high one level. thing, you know, Kristen Peak, who is a national writer, caught a lot of grief because she sent a video of the snow on, I think it was Friday evening, and said, can we just agree now that the All-Star Game should never be anywhere but Miami, Los Angeles, like Las Vegas and Phoenix? And people took that as an attack on Middle Earth America. I, if I'm not mistaken, she lives in like Utah, and I think she's a native of Cleveland. She was simply making a joke about the weather. The weather sucked. I've lived through my whole life. I hate cold weather. I hate it. And I was disappointed this weekend when I was like, oh, man. I mean, like it was a buzzkill because there was so – I mean, can you imagine like Monument Circle had the hoops on it and there were different things set up. If we would have hit the lottery a second time and had the weather like we had for the Super Bowl or like we have had in years past during Final Fours, it would have been downtown would have been wonderful. But I get it. People didn't want to walk around downtown because it was 12 degrees outside. The weather was terrible. And I mean, I, I, I don't blame her. I didn't take like offense to it, but I think it was less a joke and much more an observation of the fact the last couple of these All-Star games have been in cold weather cities. And a lot of the NBA higher ups that cover the sport want it to be like the NFL Pro Bowl used to be, where you're going to Honolulu and it's a nice breakaway from the cold monotony of this time of year. That said, I, I don't agree with that concept. I think that all markets deserve an opportunity to showcase and host yeah, these yeah. events because there's so many historic franchises. But that's more or less what it is: is saying the quiet part out loud of why are we playing this in a cold city? I'm telling you, it would not surprise me though. I know you can't do this because you want to reward each of your franchises, to your point. Would not surprise me if a, the discussion, I don't think they'd ever do it, but if there becomes a discussion of having the All-Star Game permanently in Las Vegas or the in-season tournament, I think, well, obviously that will be that will be Vegas's niche. And maybe that fulfills like the NBA desire to put a franchise there. Maybe instead that it, it becomes the NBA's permanent, like, celebratory city we'll continue the conversation and coming up james boyd going to join us top of the hour in terms of the colts free agency all-star game conversation as well query company here 93.5 the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you all right, let's take a couple calls real quick on the All-Star Game. James Boyd going to join us just a couple minutes. All music having to do somewhat with President's Day, by the way. Uh, Jeremiah, I believe. Do we have Jeremiah still on hold? Jeremiah yes, joins sir. us on the program. What's up, Jeremiah? Thanks, Jake, for taking my call. Jimmy, appreciate it. Uh, guys, I think the All-Star event was phenomenal, like we always do here in Indy. And regardless of the snow... We had an outstanding city make this the creme of the creme of the creme because they cleared 
six inches of snow for everyone to get to and from safely to this entire event. And to top it off, you talked about the basketball goals downtown on the circle. We saw people actually shooting basketball goals out in the snow, which reminded me of a kid when I practiced free throws doing the same thing in my parents' driveway. That's what Indiana's about, and that's showcasing what we can do is we may have six inches of snow, and it may have been 20 degrees, but it was still an outstanding event nonetheless. And hats off to everyone in the city to make it pop. Now, like it Jeremiah, which, which events did you go to, did you attend? I uh, was only able to attend the crossover event on Saturday. Uh, okay. Watched most of the festivities via TV. Uh, but, you know, again, being in and around downtown the whole weekend, off and on, it it was just phenomenal. My, only, just- my only complaint, Jeremiah, would be this, and this is not a bad thing, right? I mean, this is a good thing from an economic standpoint. But a lot of the bars and restaurants were, were private events. So, like, the crossover was great. And the circle had cool stuff set up, but but in terms of when you were walking from point A to point B to go in and out of different venues would have been a challenge because they were restricted to private events, and and that's not a bad thing. I mean that that obviously serves well, right? But that would have been my only like if I had to critique it, critique of it. Now Matthew went to I believe the Butler game, but this was Matthew from Maine's first real go round of Indianapolis putting on events, and the weather sucked. But Matthew, your thoughts? Um, well, I don't have much in terms of the thoughts of the All Star event because I didn't do anything there. I was calling for the President's Day thing from earlier when you were looking for people. Okay, so Matthew, you grew up what in what state were you born? Texas. Okay, you lived in Texas until what age? Two. And then you li- then you moved to where? Florida. Okay, lived in Florida till what age? Four. And then moved where? Maine. And you lived in Maine from, obviously, so age four to current, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so now, if you were to live, you now have moved to Indiana. If you live in Indianapolis, let's just say for the sake of argument that you live here for 40 years, what state would you then consider like your home state? I would still consider it to be Maine. See, that's what I... Okay. Now, that jives well, Matthew, with with the the Lincoln debate, because Lincoln, born in Kentucky, moves to Indiana at the age of seven, lives in Indiana until essentially like post what we would say high school years today, early adulthood, and then moves to Illinois, but goes to school in Illinois, gets graduate degree in Illinois, works professionally in Illinois, and becomes elected president as a representative of Illinois. So if you are, we'll allow you, Matthew, as a multi-state resident, you if you were Lincoln, you would rule as the judge and jury that his home state is what? Illinois. <laughs> Matthew begrudgingly. <laughs> I appreciate it, Matthew. Matthew begrudgingly going with Illinois. I, it's hard to argue that. Even though high school and like, like Lincoln had his first beer in Indiana. That's what That's what the sign should say when you enter the state. Abraham Lincoln had his first beer here. Right? I mean, I don't even know if he... He might have lived in Illinois by the time he was 21. But he was surely, like, sneaking out and having a Schlitz back behind the barn when he was 16, right? And that would have been here in Indiana, right? I wish that's what the sign said. Indiana. Lincoln's first drunk. How's that? 
Hell yeah. That'd be awesome. You had me the first time. James Boyd, a lot like Abraham Lincoln. Grew up in Illinois, now in Indiana. Other way around for Lincoln, but we're going to talk to him next. Rolling along. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Long on a President's Day. This, by the way, would be Presidents of the United States of America, the name of the band. If I had a million dollars, James Boyd may have a million dollars. He was surrounded by some guys that had more than that. Over the course of the weekend, James Boyd of the Athletic covering the All-Star Game. Of course, some Colts conversation as well. But we'll begin, James, with the All-Star Game. Uh, what was your first takeaway from last night, either be the, be it the game itself, the lack of intensity, your overall thoughts? It didn't bother me too much. Um, I think a lot of people are upset about it. Oh, they don't play hard. They don't care. They play hard and they care in a lot of other games that matter a lot more. So I always think of it through the eyes of like a seven or eight year old. And if you think that seeing Luka Doncic do anything or LeBron James dunk it with no defense is cool, then more power to you. But, you know, people who complain about it, you don't have to watch it. That's kind of how I view it. So it was not a good game. I will admit that. I was there in person. But after, like, the intros and some of the, you know, award type of things or the recognition moments with Oscar Robertson and other things like that, that was cool. But the game itself, I hardly watched it. I didn't even, like, post the final score on my Twitter feed because I kind of forgot all about the game afterwards because it was more so like, okay, can I actually ask somebody a question about the Pacers? <laughs> you know, the um, let's begin with this. And I agree with that. I mean, James, what I was saying is this. The – the all-star game to me it's an exhibition and it's an exhibition of you know somebody said like yeah i can go out across the street and watch guys shoot from 40 feet and hit shots can you i mean the level at which and i get it you just don't want to see stand around playing horse but some of the just the passing or the the athleticism necessary for the alley-oops and stuff like that is truly i i it's a credit to the NBA and to the level of play that we are ho-hum about that, right? I mean, like I said, when Dr. J took off from the free throw line, it brought the world down. And now guys are taking off from the free throw line and like high-fiving seven people in the stands at the same time and then catching an alley-oop with the left hand and putting it in the right. I mean, it's unbelievable what's on display. And to me, that's that maybe they just need James to promote it differently. I mean, do people not understand what you're getting into kind of? But I also understand that after the first five minutes, it kind of was like, okay, I mean, I get both sides. Yeah, I do see both sides. I would probably say, you know, you probably don't want to see Luka shooting from three-quarter court, hitting the top of the backboard, or him hardly even trying to, like, actually make a dunk. You know, Nikola Jokic out there, like, faking like he's going to dunk when he's, you know, 6'11 and not dunking. Like, just stuff like that, it's like, you know, why do it? I thought, like, Halliburton had the right energy coming out, shooting it well. Dame had the right energy, I thought, coming out, and a few others. But, you know, once some of the bigger-name stars, you know, we're talking about, like, league MVPs here, you know, LeBron and, and Nikola Jokic and obviously MVP candidate Luka Doncic, who, you know, just weren't very engaged. And I think you, you sort of follow their lead in a sense. So um, it's funny because you talk about the skill, Jake, where, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and it had a 50-point game when he wasn't trying. 
like very hard. So that speaks to the level of talent, but I mean, I don't know how they fix it. I don't know if they ever need to change it. I, I just kind of have accepted that it's going to be this one 24-hour talking point, and then after that, we'll look back on those games more of like, okay, who had so many All-Star game appearances versus, you know, the All-Star game itself. And, you know, if they had to fix it, just put me out there because I'll go out there and get some buckets for sure. <laughs> Not change. <laughs> You know, actually, if they put you out there and you had to play the – actually, in that game, you probably would get a bucket, right? Because there's no defense. So you could just go lay it in. Oh, I would but, get one in that game, yes. yeah. In the NBA right. game, no. But in that game, I would get a leak out layup um, because that's all you have to do. I mean, half the guys didn't even cross half court. So, yeah. <laughs> do you feel like Tyrese Halliburton had a pride about representing the Pacers and allowing the city and the state to be on display – to the likes that we had not seen in terms of that pride probably since Reggie Miller. Yes. Yes. And I think that Tyrese, I was just having this conversation with my buddy Tony East, who's on here all the time as well. It's going to be funny to tell a kid 20 years from now, assuming Halliburton stays here and builds his career here, that he was not drafted here because it felt like he was Indiana's own for – you know, a few days, and that's what it feels like even beyond those few days, just with the energies brought to the franchise, the enthusiasm, the aura, the flair, all these things. And so I think that he's so much more comfortable now being in that space, and this just gave them, you know, a great opportunity to try to show what he has to offer to the game. And then hearing the greats talk about him both past and present, you know, what he means to this franchise, it sounded like, you know, this is a guy who – can change this place and and maybe they were saying the same things about Paul George obviously I wasn't here around that time but with Tyrese the energy the admiration and just the you know support that he's received around the league is incredible and the way that he's handled it with grace class you know personality flair those things have made him made him an easy you know sort of prom king as he said of all-star weekend here in Indianapolis. James Boyd is our guest, covers the Colts for the Athletic as well as the Pacers and different crossover stuff for the Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at RomeoVilleKid. James, going back to the All-Star game for a second, David Aldridge, who's covered the NBA for a long time, well-respected in the industry, you know, one of my favorite writers that's still involved in the sport, was one of many national correspondents that came down heavily on the effort level last night. And the league has tried the last 10 years to experiment with different ways to make it more competitive. The most notable from a defensive standpoint is you knew that people would lock in with the Elam ending when they had that the last couple of years because there was a target score, there was charity money on the line, and it felt like at least late in those games there were more defensive stops, certainly, than there was last night. They get rid of that because they didn't like it, they thought it was too gimmicky, and they go back to the traditional format. You have the most points ever scored in an All-Star game by the East with 211. Is the game itself broken or is the fan broken to be expecting anything less than just, as Jake's highlighted a couple times, an electric offensive exhibition with a defense optional at best approach? Is it the fan's perspective that needs to change or does the league really need to try to fix it? No, I think the league had it right with the Elam ending. And so I think you bring up a good point. Honestly, I don't keep up with, like, all-star game rule changes. And so when I got there last night, I was like, wait, it's a regulation game? Like, just no, like, competitiveness, no target score. And so I think that they should bring that back, absolutely. Elam ending, 
um, you know, should be brought back. It brings excitement. It at least intensifies the game for certain spurts of it. And it, and it incentivizes the players to kind of keep it close. That way they can win it at the end, even if they're, you know, down eight or nine and they're not down 20. And so I don't think there was, you know, once it got to like 15 points with the East leading, I was like, there's no way the West is coming back because they're not going to play any defense to. And so unless, you know, the East, who are, by the way, some of the best shooters in the league, you know, Lillard, Halliburton, they're not going to just miss all their shots. And if you don't play any defense, it's not going to work. But I think, like you said, Jimmy, bring up a very good point. Bring back the Elam ending and um, have us sort of at least be on the edge of our seat for the final two minutes or whatever it is of these games. James Boyd of The Athletic is our guest. James, it's President's Day. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple of presidential trivia questions through the course of the conversation, okay? Sounds good. Okay, here we go. Uh, you you attended the University of Illinois. I'm correct in that, right? Yes. There is only one president that was educated in terms of their college education in the state of Illinois. Do you know which president it is? I do not. It's also the um, only president – both of these, to you, in your defense, by the way – both of these kind of like, um, I'm not obscure, but not necessarily linked to this president. Also, only one president, same president, is the only to be born in the state of Illinois. Do you know that? Well, I do know this, I think. Ronald Reagan? That is correct. Ronald Reagan okay. went to Eureka College in Illinois and was born in Illinois. He is the only president. All right, I got one more for you. You ready? Yes. There are three. If you can get two of the three, uh, I'll be impressed. Well, if you get all three, I'll be impressed. You'll get two of the three, I think. There are three presidents that at their election as president, Illinois was listed as their primary state of representation. Those three presidents would be who? Barack Obama. That is one. Oh, my goodness. That might be it for me. Come on now. Yeah. Attorney from Springfield, buried in Springfield. The Illinois license plates say it's the land of this president. Oh, wow. Abraham Lincoln? Correct. Seriously? He's not. I mean, I he, he he was a representative of, you know, he was an Illinois legislator. Uh, the last you know, one, I, I'll just tell you because I had no idea that you could you could win bar bets till the cows come home on this. The third, the president that was representative of the universe uh, or excuse me, of the state of Illinois for their election, Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses yeah, no, there's great. no way. First of all, I can't even pronounce Ulysses very well. So um, <laughs> that was definitely one of the presidents I forgot whenever we had like a president sets in school. Name all 50 of them. I would probably get like 40 because one of those names is not going to re- get remembered. So um, I thought they're all right, though. You know, two for four. Pretty maybe, good. So Pretty good. Not too bad. Hey, um, the, the Rising Stars game, a lot was made of this, I, I think, in the moment. And it kind of got overshadowed by the actual All-Star game. But the kind of feud between Jaden Ivey and Benedict Matherin, you know, this is kind of a real thing in terms of where players get drafted and wanting to compete. There's a rivalry. How, how warm blooded James, do you think that rivalry is or how much of that was for show? I think it's legit. I don't think Benedict is a very good, like pretender, (laughs) you know, even uh, when he, like we ask him questions and he gives like the diplomatic answer. I'm like, you don't have a very good poker face. Um, because his face is just like, he's dead serious. It seems like most of the time. So I actually think that that was for real. And I can tell you that because I remember when I first spoke to him at summer league, right after he got drafted, he was like, anybody who drafted ahead of me, you know, being the number six pick, I want to go at him and I want to show him they made a mistake. 
you know, and that's basically what he told me in this tiny gym. And, you know, I think it was on UNLV campus back then. He really lives by that. And he has that slight, that chip on his shoulder because of that. And we, we might see some more of that, you know, come Thursday night when the Pistons come to Gamers Fieldhouse. But I do, well, I will say, Jake, that you cannot, you know, airball dunks and, uh, you know, brick free throws uh, that you bet, you know, 25K on after you talk like that. So um, he got the best of them in a sense, but it was a very chaotic rising star of his game or nights for Benedict Mathern. Did this weekend as a whole, James Boyd of The Athletic is our guest, did the weekend as a whole live up to what you have heard slash what you remember of Indy being a spot to knock events out of the park in terms of the way stuff was distributed across downtown in terms of the setup of things, whether it's All-Star Saturday night, whether it's, as Jake mentioned, Rising Stars, the game itself, did it live up to what you thought it would be? To me, it did for as well as it could. Like I said, you can't, you know, change the feel of the game unless you're playing in it. So, like, you can't ask any city to be like, well, make the All-Star game better. Well, that's up to the players. Um, I thought logistically, obviously, Indianapolis, once you get downtown, you can get everywhere on foot. So that was great. But the traffic probably could have been better. Some of this is the direction with it. Obviously, the snow being cleared out sooner would have helped the other night. But um, overall, I thought it was, you know, pretty fun. And, and, and really, there was a lot of unique, like, side things you could do, you know, while you were down there. You know, I had a, one of my buddies, he had, like, this pop-up shop in the mall where they were kind of selling some different merchandise, NBA pop-up shops, things like that. There were the ice, you know, sculptures of Larry Bird, which I take a picture with, and other greats you know, in Indiana, and, you know, there was the crossover event that I went to, kind of like the Indiana State Fair, we could do a bunch of basketball stuff. So I thought if there was an opportunity, you felt like, hey, maybe I can't afford to go to the All-Star game or the Rising Stars game or the dunk contest, whatever. If you wanted to be down there and kind of feel the vibes of All-Star Weekend and maybe just do a little something, there was always something to do. I mean, I even shot hoops outside when I was walking to the LeBron press conference yesterday. I saw some balls rolling around me, um, and I saw some hoops and just got to shooting around. So it was fun, man. I thought it was a really good um, moment for the city, and I can tell that I'm getting you know, more territorial because when people were, were talking crazy about Indiana or Indianapolis, I was like, um, relax. You know, you've seen snow before. Suck it up and have fun. You know, James, my only critique would be this. And and then I want you to tell me if you think it's a fair critique. I think for people that are fans of the NBA All-Star Game, for people that were fans of the NBA, and for people that are fans of you know, a, a particular player, it was wonderful. I think everybody that came down, with the exception of the weather, which nobody can do anything about, it, they enjoyed themselves. But I feel like it fell a little bit short in a track. And this is probably largely weather-based. But my one critique would be that unlike when the Final Four is here, the Super Bowl is an unfair comparison because that's a different animal. But we'll use Final Fours as a comparison that there were fewer transcendent residents that came down. In other words, the people that came down for the most part were coming down because they are fans of the NBA or of the event itself. And you got a fewer number of people that were like, hey, big event downtown, let's go soak it in. That probably is weather-based, but that would be my one critique. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I do think that you probably had to have an interest in basketball rather than just like, hey, this is going on. Right. And I also think that – Whereas I think the Final Four, James, I think with the Final Four, you do get – 
people that are like, hey, the Final Four's here, so let's definitely go down and have dinner and get a beer and just soak in the environment. But that's weather-based to a large extent. Yeah, but I also think that there's just – there's something to being at something where people are truly trying to win it. You know what I mean, Jake? Like, you know, Final Four, if you go down there, you want to soak up the environment, even if you don't go to the game itself, you just go to a bar and watch the game. You're watching people actually compete and try to do something. Or special, you're watching whereas, fans that are com- that are passionate about being there. Right. right? They, they, they live and die with these teams, whereas with the All-Star game, it's like, who's on what team? Oh, is it East or West this year? Is it Elon ending this year? Or who's playing? Is LeBron only played eight minutes? Like, who cares? I mean, I, I was there in person, and it was honestly hard to even focus on anything outside of, like, Halliburton's hot streak at the beginning of the game. I was thinking to myself, this is boring, but again – that's what it's become, and I don't know how the league fixes it. I've heard reports, and I think it was actually with um, one of my guys, Sam Emmett, reported for The Athletic, like, hey, the players were thinking about how can they get paid for all-star games, stuff like that. But I'm like, I don't know if that will change it. Like, if you give millionaires an extra million dollars, like, to play in this game or play hard, would that change anything? I don't think so, because all the guys in those games last night are on max contrast or will get one very soon, so – I don't know, but I do think, like you said, something about the Final Four and just competitive events in general make it more of a I want to be down there on that energy versus I feel like it was a leisure type of thing with, you know, the All-Star game. If you can make it, cool. If you can't, not a huge deal. James Boyd of The Athletic is our guest. James, we've talked a lot of Pacers. I want to pivot for the remaining time we have you towards the Colts. Franchise tag opportunity of the next two weeks. That window opens tomorrow. How quickly between the time that period opens do you think it occurs that Michael Pittman Jr. is given a tag by the Colts? I don't know about how quickly, but, you know, I got to give him time to negotiate. But I do think that the most realistic option is that he get tagged. Um, I don't see why he would. And I'm not saying that, like, he's going to get tagged. They never actually go back and revisit and negotiate a long-term deal. But the way I see this playing out, Jimmy, is that, he comes in and says, I want $100 million, four years, $25 million a year, and I want $50 million guaranteed. And then the Colts go, no, we're not going to pay you that much. How about we give you, you know, $80 million four years? You know, and he's like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, tag me. And they tag him, and I think the tag is projected to be like $22 million. And so if you, like, take 22, multiply by four, that gets you to about $88 million. So I think they'll tag him. They'll negotiate again, and then they'll come to an agreement sort of in the 88 to $90 million range with about $45 million guaranteed. And I think that will be an even exchange for both sides to continue their partnership together, whereas no side feels like they were, like, slighted or wrong or anything like that. But I just think it will be a bad move on Pittman's part or even the team's part to just basically agree to anything right off the bat. Like, you're both trying to gain leverage, but I think it will come to that, you know, agreement, but, you know, got to play your cards first. James, which more intrigues you? James Boyd is our guest from The Athletic. Which more intrigues you? The amount Pittman's going to get, presumably by the Colts or from the Colts, or the amount the Colts are willing to spend for another wide receiver in addition to Michael Pittman? I think it's probably the latter because they're going to pay Pittman. I would just say everybody on the radio who's listening, relax, breathe. Michael Pittman Jr. will be a Colt for next season for sure. And beyond that, I'm pretty sure that like it would just be franchise mal- you know, malpractice to not you know, re-sign that guy and keep him around long-term. But you know, as far as the pieces around him and around Anthony Richardson, I'm just not sure. I think this year, this offseason is a really big one, as it is usually for Chris Ballard, but just because 
you have a team that's sort of in place to win now. And so his philosophy in the past has always been to kind of be, you know, second to the punch on free agents or I'm going to take a swing on this guy. We won't really go all in list. you got to make some moves to win like tomorrow. And so I wonder if his philosophy and his aggressiveness will change considering their cap space and free agency in the draft coming up. Is there a player, James, that is going to be a free agent from the Colts, I mean, that, that was with the Colts this year that is entering free agency? that we might find out has more value on the open market than they actually do or did to Indianapolis? That's actually a really good question. I think that that player could potentially be, you know, someone like Kenny Moore. You know, he's a 28-year-old, I believe, you know, slot corner. Um, does he have value or more value in a different system? Will he be viewed differently in a different system? I know he's been here for a long time. He wants to stay here. He's someone I probably like think about, you know, just because of the youth movement the Colts sort of have going on. I think they should bring him back, honestly. Um, Julian Blackman's kind of underrated in that sense. He's got the injury history stuff, didn't finish this season, but he had played really, really good football. And I thought that they honestly lost the Texans game because he wasn't playing in it. You know, some of those defensive breakdowns in the secondary, they needed him for that. And I think that he could, you know, command a decent market, you know, in free agency. So we'll see. But, um, you know, as it always goes, I think that the majority of the Colts' players should be brought back, you know, the free agents, some of the bigger-name guys, but this is the NFL, man. It never works out that way. Your team is never 100% the same. And so I would expect, you know, one or two guys that maybe I was, you know, looking forward to seeing again, maybe, you know, suiting up somewhere else. The Athletics' James Boyd. Nice stuff to take some time with us. James, back to Michael Pittman Jr. for a second. I'm with you. They tag him, and then you have that opportunity to – negotiate a long-term extension without the fear of getting into a bidding war with somebody else. But from Pittman's point of view, he knows that next year it would be near cap suicide for the Colts to tag him again because of the way the percentage increased, especially at that position, what they'd be paying him. At that point, you're better off just signing him to a long-term deal, talking about in 2025, than tagging him a second time what is the likelihood that you mentioned in that scenario? I know it was a hypothetical, but I agree with your numbers. Pittman wants, let's say, 25 a year, and they're like, no, nah, we see him more as like a 21, 22 type of guy. What is the likelihood that he says, you know what, I'm going to play out this tag and then see what happens in the offseason in 2025, despite the thought, like all players think about, you're one injury away from everything changing? Yeah, I was going to say that will be a great move if this was a video game and injuries were turned off. And so if someone comes to you and says, hey, we'll offer you $80 million, $85 million, $90 million to play football, I don't know a world where Pittman might turn that down. And also just considering that he is a homegrown talent, um, he seems to really love you know, being a cult. He's uh, relationship with Anthony Richardson. And then, in my opinion, looking at what the Colts need to do to build a winner around Anthony Richardson, you just can't let Pittman get out of the door. So even if you have to bite the bullet and overpay to keep him there, you do it because it matters more, not necessarily just to keep Pittman happy, but to keep your quarterback who you're building around, your, your franchise guy, happy as well and helping him grow into his position. So, um, you know, I, I think that it will be, again, a great move. There's no injuries and stuff like that, but – for Pittman, I think if you know his respect with Chris Ballard, how genuine they seem to be with one another, and, and Ballard talked about how they're pretty candid in 
their conversations. I don't think this would be a very contentious negotiation at all. And, um, you know, I'll knock on some wood here and say that, you know, we will not be experiencing deja vu with Pittman and Jalen Johnson Taylor kind of going back-to-back years of, you know, contract disputes and stuff like that. No, I don't foresee that at all. James, now that we know that Anthony Richardson is has been given the green light to throw again, you know, coming off of the the surgery and the offseason and everything that took place, or, you know, I mean, obviously sitting out, I mean, and resting going into the offseason, uh, where do we stand or have you heard at all how he looks and how much throwing he is doing. And I, I'm having Andrew Luck flashbacks. Yeah, you know what? I haven't had a chance to really check in with him. Um, you know, and obviously the Colts are kind of, kind of keep things under wraps until, you know, they feel like he's 100% good to go. I would just tell everyone out there, yes, he's throwing again. And when we talk to him about the timeline, this is the wrong time he's supposed to throw again as well. But I, I wouldn't bet on him right now throwing like, you know, 60 yards, 70 yards, whatever it is, when he's like can really uncork it, um, you know, with his cannon arm. Throwing is different, and he's probably like building up to, you know, more of the bigger throws, the full throws, the, you know, velocity, all those things. And so um, I think he is fine for now. Everyone can take a deep breath. And, uh, you know, I think for me, if I get to OTAs, Jake, or get to some of these offseason stuff and he's not, like, there yet, then I'll have some questions like, okay, what's going on? Because the timeline said X, Y, Z. But until then, I'm not too worried about it. And, you know, honestly, I had somebody ask me the other day, you know, hey, do you think they would let Anthony play in the celebrity game? And I was like, do you want to see Chris Ballard perform a citizen's arrest at Gamer Shield House? No. Um, there's no chance he would be there or at Lucas Oil Stadium playing basketball this weekend. They're making sure that his shoulder gets together, that he can, um, you know, throw a football again. So uh, it'll be fun to see him when he's back out there in action. Either one of you guys, James Boyd, Jimmy Cook. Jimmy, I think this is going to be right in your wheelhouse. Either one of you guys ever collect comic books? No, not. Not really. Okay. If you were to collect comic books, would you find it odd, or if you were to meet somebody that collected comic books, uh, Spider-Man and Conan the Barbarian, either one of those, like, be of interest to you at all? Spider-Man, yes. those Spider-Man. Those are the primary two comic books collected by Barack Obama. That is his hobby. Hmm. He collects Spider-Man and Barbarian comic books. Yeah, so we got, we got a couple things in common, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm running for president, you know, in a couple years as well. So. <laughs> from Illinois, right? <laughs> yeah, from Illinois. <laughs> there you go. Better than Ulysses S. Grant, I guess. Uh, James, you're in on Friday, right? I am in on Friday. All right, I'm taking off uh, going to Vegas, so James is capably filling in, more than capably. Uh, oh, probably. you let the Vegas part out, man. I didn't need to hear about all that. I didn't need to hear about all that. <laughs> I'm going to a concert in Las Vegas, so I'm only there for about 50 hours. James, I expect like 10 going. presidential facts from you that's on right. Friday ready to go. I that's just right. hope you're prepared for that. Oh, man, you take me back to like school. Look, brother, I was a good student, but I was a cram student, so I will remember it right before the test and forget it as soon as I walked out. Fair enough. Fair enough. James, appreciate the time as always. We look forward to having you in on Friday. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, James Boyd from The Athletic. Uh, I used to know who the first president on an airplane was. I should know that I, since we mentioned flying. Uh, how about this? Chester A. Arthur enjoyed walking at night. Seldom went to bed before 2 a.m. My man. You should, Chet Arthur, baby. You should genuinely, and if you're worried about nobody buying it, I will buy a copy. I just want a book, 365, or it could be a calendar, jQuery Facts. Just random fact of the day. And I just want it in book form. That's oh. it. 
can go on and on I'll and on, I'll take PDF man. as well, but I, I need it compiled somewhere. Eddie, you're rolling your eyes. You're just aiding and I didn't say to on. read it on air. Eddie, I said Eddie, I just wanted to copy it Your all-star sweatshirt that you're wearing, uh, Eddie Garrison, that doesn't appear to be like an official NBA. Oh, I do see the NBA logo in the middle. Yeah, I got it from okay. Gamebridge Fieldhouse Friday night. You see, if you go over there now, it's 50. I shouldn't t- say that, right? Because the line's going to increase again. The, the, everything right now is 50% off. And I went over this morning. We're down here on the circle. And I thought, oh, I'll walk over and check it out. I, I, I turned, I hooked a left off Meridian and like the line was wrapped down around the Alexander. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. See, I worry with going there now that it's going to be a couple beanies on the floor. Well, now it's and you're, through, right? right? Exactly. See, I saw you walking there as I was walking back. Oh, that's when, so you went this morning and got it? I did not, no. I so went. you did not brave the elements? Correct. I got there, I saw the line, you said, you know what? I got to get ready I mean, for that the line's got to be a couple hours long, honestly. It was I'd an hour away, so. is yeah. what people were saying online. In the cold, too, right? Like, come on. At least it wasn't windy. Uh, here's a tip for everybody. It is true that everything is 50% off at Gamebridge Fieldhouse today until 6 o'clock for the All-Star game, for the merchandise. There are also pop-up stores inside Circle Center Mall that have official merchandise that is also 50% off. There's your tip. Mitchell and Ness. And they're still there? What's that? And they're still there? Like, yeah. Do you think they, they closed up shop after the All-Star game? No, they were there this morning. There. So okay. I walked okay. through, and that's where I got I got two hats for the price. Well, I almost bought you guys hats, and then I thought, you guys already have everything. You kidding me? You posted pictures. You're wearing 19 <laughs> different headgears. You know what I mean? Headgears? What? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, you had on a hat, you had on a beanie, you had, you had the whole deal. Your sweatshirt. Are you confusing that with my Super Bowl picture? You're wearing yeah. a sweatshirt with a jacket and a pullover. Eddie had pom poms in the background, had his <laughs> oh, face sure. painted. I'm yes. like, I don't, I don't, these guys don't need anything more, right? <laughs> my favorite president, by the way. You want to know my favorite president? Always. We're going to find out next. You're going to find out in the bumper song because there's a song about him, and it's next. Most underrated. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. President in history right here. Not him. Although I've been to where Martin Van Buren, Martin Van Buren was born. Now, there were certainly things in James K. Polk's background that were less than ideal, but in terms of his administration had set goals, said that, you know, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to do westward expansion. We're going to unify into a national treasury and we're going to get a balanced budget. We're going to do it all in one term. And he did exactly that. And James K. Polk of Tennessee, years ago, I was at and I always liked James K. Polk. I read his biography. Um, he was pro-slavery, which is a pretty hard thing to overlook for for certain. So I'm not, but um, that alone, it pretty hard to list him like in the top ten. But in terms of the things that he set out, I shouldn't say he was pro-slavery, but he was not. He was against an abolitionist, so that that should say something and demerit him significantly. But he is buried or entombed atop on the roundabout of the Nashville, Tennessee State House. And when I was in Tennessee once, I was walking around. I couldn't find it anywhere. I stopped. Some, some guy was walking his dog. And I go, hey, um, do you know where James K. Polk's tomb is? 
and the dog was on one of those leashes that like extends like real far and then you stop it and literally his, I, we look over and his, his dog has his leg leaned up against this black iron rod fence so we walk over to where the dog is and he was literally taking care of it right there on the monument for James K. Polk and his so not Jerry Jones style not Jerry Jones style the dog even washed his paws uh, all-star game yesterday talked a lot about that again I go back to I thought it was a win for two reasons I know that people want to see competitive nature but look you are going to see the greatest basketball players in the world and the athleticism on display the execution of plays that they're able to do sure is their defense no but is anybody really going to see defense if you were going to the all-star game to see defense Bruce Brown's a starter if you're going to the all-star game to see defense then John Sally would have been like a 15-time All-Star. You're going there to see incredible above-the-rim athleticism and guys effortlessly hitting like 45-foot shots, my opinion. If you want to see defense, then go down the Pacers play on Thursday night back at the Fieldhouse against the Pistons. Go to that game, and you'll see Jaden Ivey and Benedict Matherin, who got into it a little bit during the Rising Stars game, and keep in mind that Ivy was selected one spot ahead of Ben Matherin. And was not now it's funny when he said, like, they should have drafted me over you. It's like, would you rather be in Detroit? Really? But I thought it was an ultimate display, number one. Number two, the thing that I think was the absolute winner for Pacer fans. I mentioned it earlier, but I'll repeat it. Reggie Miller, when he came to the Pacers. People forget Reggie Miller, the first few years that he was with the Indiana Pacers, was not the straw mixing the drink. Chuck Person was. Chuck Person was the rookie of the year, drafted in 86. He was like the only member of that disastrous 86 draft that didn't wash out, to be honest with you, and was a really good player, and people loved him. And when the Pacers first kind of started to make their, their push through into the playoffs, playing against the Boston Celtics, it was Chuck Person, not Reggie Miller, that was the one that was giving Larry Bird fits and standing in the parquet floor and yelling out like, you know, your floor can't stop me. Your your players can't stop me and had huge games. And the whole city rallied around because it was like, oh, my gosh, we've got a guy that is standing up to the Boston Celtics of all teams. Ironically enough, Chuck Person, his nickname, The Rifleman, because his mother, when he was born, was watching the television show The Rifleman starring Chuck Connors. So she named him Chuck after Chuck Connors. Thus, his nickname became The Rifleman. And Chuck Connors himself had been a Boston Celtic. But I digress. Eventually, Reggie Miller kind of took over that throne. And when he did so, Reggie Miller adopted the Indiana underdog, chip-on-the-shoulder, insecurity mentality. And that's what people loved about him. It wasn't just that he slayed the Knicks. It was that he told Spike Lee, like, look, don't think you're better than us because you're from New York and we're from sleepy Indiana. And when he had the eight points in nine seconds, it wasn't just that he hit back-to-back threes and then the two free throws and sealed game one. It was that afterwards he said, this is for you, Indiana. Like, we're coming home for you. People loved it. Tyrese Halliburton had that, Jimmy, this weekend. Tyrese Halliburton was saying to the basketball world, this is Indianapolis. This is my city. Let me be. He was our concierge to the world. He was the maitre d for the world to show them around Indianapolis. He was the host. And as you guys had mentioned, you know, this was homecoming in the prom and he was the king. And he is locked in anyway, but people are going to love 
moving forward, not that they don't already, Tyrese Halliburton, because that cemented his love affair with the city because he, a kid from Wisconsin, not L.A., not New York, not Atlanta or Seattle or Denver, Wisconsin. He from Wisconsin who played at Iowa State, not Kentucky, not Carolina, not Duke, not Arizona, Iowa State, comes to Indiana and has a chip because he had been traded by his first franchise to here. And Indiana embraced him. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to embrace you back and I'm going to show the rest of the league. It's a great field house. It's a great city. It's a great fan base. And I'll be damned. We're going to be a great franchise because of me. And that's why last night, that's what I know he didn't win MVP. Who cares? Right? Who cares? He didn't win the MVP of the all-star game. What he won was the MVP of the city last night. It was cemented. And that's what people Jimmy can rally around. Well, it's the second time he's done it this season. And he solidified it, to your point, over the course of being a grand ambassador for all things Indiana, all things Indianapolis, over the course of All-Star Weekend. But he had hinted at it before the season started that the in-season tournament was going to give the Pacers and, as importantly, Tyrese Halliburton an opportunity to introduce themselves back to the national landscape of NBA basketball. It had been a long time, probably since like we can talk about Oladipo and the Game 7 against the Cavs and all that, but that era died very quickly. This is the first real resurgence. Pacers are, are back. You need to know that they are a threat on a nightly basis since the Paul George days. In about a decade that you've been able to feel this type of way about a specific player. And he did it when national televised action became available to him and available to the Pacers during the in-season tournament. He's done it all year, but he's able to flex his muscles and show the world, hey, we're a real deal team in the in-season tournament. I know they don't win that thing, but that was his kind of coming out party to the NBA as a whole. He rides that momentum, makes another all-star game, becomes a starter for the first time, and electrifies both from a personality standpoint as well as what he did on the floor last night, the entirety of NBA All-Star Weekend. And so for the Pacers moving forward, now you hope that that is not just a electric moment in the courting of future pieces to this new era of Pacers basketball. That it's not just a jumping off point for the franchise for the second half of the season, but that it's a reminder that Tyrese Halliburton belongs in the same conversation of not just up-and-coming stars, but stars in the NBA. Because at the end of the day, when there's no defense involved in an all-star game like that, it becomes a large-scale contest between all-stars of, oh, you can do that? No, I can do it better. And Tyrese Halliburton fully looked like he belonged with the best players on earth. So for Indiana, a lot of pride behind this young rising superstar, a lot of pride for what the city was able to do. But when you look back, and there's so much still left to be done for the Pacers to achieve what they want to achieve in this Tyrese Halliburton era. But when you look back at a marquee moment and a marquee point of all of this in 10, 15 years from now, it will be the way he represented the city and what he was able to do over the course of NBA All-Star Weekend as an ambassador of the Pacers and as an ambassador of the state, Jake, to your point, as synonymously with the three legends that were up there to open All-Star, the All-Star game. Reggie Miller, Oscar Robertson, Larry Bird. By the way, my one nitpick 
and I know it's a nitpick. When Oscar Robertson said, like, gentlemen, it's time to play basketball, and then Larry Bird said, like, start your engines, <laughs> which was really well done. Behind them, Boomer had a huge flag, and he waved a checkered flag. Now, this is the racing dork in me. Shouldn't that have been a green flag? They're starting the the, the game. I've thought about it now, though, and I have a comical answer for you. It was actually a checkered flag that was needed there because it finally brought to an end the 8 o'clock lie start time that we were told. Boy, you're not kidding and there. And then 840 rolls around. Kidding. It's finally listen, time ba- for the game. Babyface knocked it out of the oh, park. Oh, it was great. But if that was a Super Bowl prop bet of like over under six minutes on the national anthem, I mean, it was, he, listen, he was right up there for sure. Um, you know, with some of the great anthems that have been done. Marvin Gaye is the creme de la creme. I, I, I thought Babyface was way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the pre, after a while, it was like, good Lord, like, are we going to get this thing going or not? Now, in terms of people that wanted to see, you know, I want to see passion. I want to see defense. I, I get it. I do understand it. But it's a different world. These guys are individual economies. They are their own brand, and they've never been more conscientious and aware of it. Would you rather see, if you are a fan of, give me a team off the top of your head, please, Jimmy Cook. Toronto Raptors. Toronto Raptors. So you're a Scotty Barnes fan, right? Yep. You're down there. You want to see Scotty Barnes playing. The new face of the Raptor franchise. So you go down, you pay your good money, you're sitting there, you're there to watch the All-Star game. But as you're watching it, and you're so proud of Scotty Barnes, and you know, look at the intensity of this game, and that's why I love it, because this is good for my guy, because he's getting to see what it's all about. He's getting to see tough competition, and he's in there, and he's gritting, and he's fighting. But what happens if Scotty Barnes then blows out his knee? What happens if he has a season-ending injury? It's one of the things that you have to take into account. I get it. People want to see like a legitimate game. But at the same time, if you were tuning into the All-Star game, or if you paid money to go watch the All-Star game and left disappointed because you didn't see half-court sets and double team traps, uh, my question for you would be, where have you been for like 15 years? And look, you know, the the guys that played in All-Star games before, they can say what they want. It's always kind of been that way, right? It's always been that way. Like, go back and watch. I went back and watched Ralph Sampson that we had on the show last week. Ralph Sampson was the MVP in 85 when the All-Star game was here. You watch highlights of that game? It's Olay. Ralph Sampson's running the floor and Magic drops it to him and it's like, there you go, dunk. <laughs> it, we get so, like, and, and I'm I'm the king of it. I'm the king of it. I, I can romanticize in my mind the past as much as I want. The reality is, retro, retroactively speaking, it wasn't that much different. I mean, these guys make it sound like they were playing in the All-Star game and it was game seven. Come on. Well, and even if you just shrink it down for the last 10 years... It, it's it's nothing new. And while I brought up the Elam ending as a way to maybe bring that back and add more competition to it, that was where you got to the fourth quarter and you set a target score to win the game. 
that only saved the fourth quarter. The first three quarters were still as high-flying offensive juggernaut play as you saw over the course of four quarters last night. Again, I don't think that there's a need to or a way to fix the All-Star game. It is what it is. And either you're in my camp where you really like offense and you know what that game is, or the game, that game, not all of basketball, but that game has kind of passed you by and you're expecting it to be something that it's never going to be again. Right. Like nothing you can do to fix that game unless you're totally modifying the rules is ever going to make it what it might have been 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, like I said, in the Major League Baseball All-Star game, if you go out and Randy Johnson's the starting pitcher, are, are you expecting him to go eight and a third if he's got a no-hitter through two? No. They're rotating that crap all the time. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day, there's a lot of college basketball action across the board, but nothing that really jumps out except for one game, and it's the best matchup of the night as Iowa State travels to Houston to take on the Cougars. They're getting nine points, so we'll have some scoopage on a Monday. I'll scoop nine for Tyrese Halliburton Cyclones. Jimmy Moore starting a point guard for the Cougars. By the way, do you guys smell smoke in here? Did somebody blow out birthday candles? James just walked in. James, do you notice that? Yeah. Do we need to like start looking around here and make sure that everything's kosher? I didn't mean to interrupt you, Jimmy, as as you were. Uh, I'm in a if you see something, say something mentality uh, in regards like to that. So, in here, yeah, right? it does. Uh, anyway, Iowa State scooped the nine against Houston. Eddie, do you have anything? I do. Give me Virginia on the money line against Va Tech. Virginia red hot right now. They just got put into the top 25 at 21, and Va Tech has lost four or five, including to Notre Dame, and they're coming off a blowout loss to North Carolina at home, by the way. Am I picking a game here? You can. There's plenty of weird ones. Nothing really late, but there are plenty of weird you know, ones. I don't, I, don't know if you've games, right? your, I don't know if you've brushed your teeth yet, but Colgate does play. Oh, do they really? Yeah. You know, it's funny you mention that, Jimmy. Thank you for asking. Uh, Eddie. Or, for, for, or Eddie, for mentioning that. I yesterday went and um, had to buy toothpaste, and they had a big deal on Colgate. And not only do I use it, and not only have I brushed my teeth today, uh, I brushed my teeth six times yesterday because I now have basically a surplus. I was like Kramer at the wholesale club. I have a surplus of Colgate toothpaste. Now, Eddie, I don't know if you... Do you own sunglasses by chance? I do. You might want to bring them in because by Wednesday, these bad boys are going to be so shiny, the light's going to be reflecting off of them. Are you okay. trying to keep up your teeth like that so they can get some reflection at the sphere next that, week? Is that the goal? That's it. This weekend? I pride myself on great oral hygiene, just so you know. Uh, so you said Colgate... Who's Colgate playing tonight? I can't remember. Lafayette. You know what I always say about Colgate? East Coast schools in it's general. better than Crest? It, it is that. East Coast schools in general, okay, whether it's like Lehigh, Lafayette. I'm looking right here. Colgate's playing Lafayette. That's who they play, for crying out loud. Okay. So Colgate, Lafayette, other teams like other those East Coast schools, you just naturally assume. I have no idea if Lafayette and Colgate are like elite institutions. But I stereotype it that they're like these great, fabulous academic institutions just because they're on the East Coast. It's got to be a great school. It's out East. Like, is is Lehigh a great school? I have no idea. Seems like it. Why? Because it's out East. St. Bonaventure, great school. It's darn near Ivy League, is it? I don't know. It's like a three-hour drive from one. So it's got to be a good school. Colgate currently first in the Patriot League, 18-8 and eight on the season. 
Lafayette Leopard. It's been a tough year for them, 10-16 and 16 on the year. I don't know if you know or not, but that Patriot League, uh, no, the, all the teams on the road January 6th. Patriot League. Who's in second in the Patriot League? Uh, let's see. Call me off guard, Jake. I wasn't prepared for a deep conversation. Uh, Lafayette, how about that? So they're ten, oh, they're it's ten a big four, one then. They're 10-4 and four in conference. Colgate is 13-1. Okay, you know what? And I know you said, and I love the Donald Foyle of Colgate. Colgate's won 11 straight. No, wait a minute. You said Lafayette. They're second. They're 11 and 16 I'm de- overall. I'm, 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 I'm How are they second in the Patriots? They're the 11 and six. Who did they play? 10 and 4 in Who did they play pre-conference? Gauntlet. i probably tell you that. <laughs> Honestly, right? I'm going with the Leopards, man. All right. Don't sleep on the Leopards. Wait, wait outright or are you scooping the nine? They're getting nine. No, no, no. They're, no, they're, they're winning outright. Outright win? All right. Lafayette is going to shock the world tonight, right? Lafayette is going to... Here's the thing. They're at home. Lafayette is like Lafayette Square. Right, just hanging in the weeds. <laughs> just when you write it off, somebody comes along and rises it from the ashes. Lafayette, baby, I am all in on the leopards. Patriot League is going to be one of those where, if you're like me, I want the best school from mid majors to Lafayette. win. Lafayette, it's Lafayette, baby, so that you get the right potential for upsets in March. That's a, uh, the no, rest of this upset. conference, outside of, of course, your Lafayette leopards, is awful. So you hope Colgate gets out of the conference in theory. <laughs> Like, here, no. Here's here's the here's Leopards the middle are of the stun conference. The world. Eight and six, seven and seven, seven and seven, six and eight. That's the middle of the Patriot League conference play. Now you know what would be interesting. Lehigh's in fourth, by the if way. If Lafayette makes the tournament, and they get pitted up against Georgetown. You got Lafayette and Georgetown. I mean, you, right there, I'm completely confused. Now all of a sudden, like, where the hell's my my Apple Maps? Right? Because Lafayette doesn't kind of run along with Georgetown, and then all of a sudden you're intersecting it. And you're like, what the hell just happened? I was paralleling this road, and now all of a sudden I'm intersecting, and I'm completely confused. I expect you to have a shirt with street signs on I it. I mean, let alone if one of the Kessler brothers is playing for one of those two schools. Now we're completely out of our wax zone, right? Yes. Uh, JMV is going to be back, I believe, hopefully tomorrow, uh, taking the day off today. And your buddy Brian's going to be filling in, yeah, right? Yeah, Brian No back in the saddle here in Indy. Looking forward to hearing so some So Brian No is back. He is with you next. We're back at it noon tomorrow. Thanks for listening.